Live. Live. Live from... This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Ready for this. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast, featuring New York sports talk by Long Suffering Fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. We are going to take a little trip down the road of baseball the last couple of weeks. Things have been a bit interesting as baseball sort of fumbles and bumbles its way through trying to get a season started. We're going to sort of do a little timeline today of sort of get you through about the last 10 days or so. We'll start out with my conversation I had on Friday, June 12th with Anthony McCarron from SNY. Talked about the tone of the baseball negotiations, what it could be setting up for 2022 with the CBA. Some thoughts about when the season will potentially get started, what it could mean for the locals. That conversation coming up with Anthony McCarron in just a bit. Also going to talk to the baseball beat today. I'll be talking to Will Schneiderhand, Anthony Sorbellini. We we're going to touch base on Wednesday, the 17th. We'll discuss the latest in the negotiations. Plus, we'll do the pop culture in there. We're going to talk about the Latest 30 for 30 documentary, Long Gone Summer, about the home run chase in 1998 between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. We have some thoughts on that. You want to check that out there. Make sure you stick around until the end of the podcast as well. We are going to wrap it all up with our legal correspondent, Phil Frietta, where we will go through the ramifications of what ends up happening here with the negotiations, where we are, what does it mean, what could this mean for baseball. We'll talk to Phil at the end of the show. But we'll get it all started with our opening tip, where we talk about the saga with Kyrie Irving and the NBA restart right after this brand new opening tip moniker. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, back here on the opening tip, talking a little bit about the NBA's return. Right now, they are making progress on that front. They are going through a very extensive list of health and safety protocols, 113-page document going out to the players over the last week. Some fun stuff in there. You can't play doubles in in ping pong. You only play singles. They're talking about how they put the players up in certain hotels, procedure who wears masks, where they can sit, what players can do, all stuff's coming out, but... There was a little bit of a concern about some thoughts from players. A group of 80 players last week, led by Kyrie Irving, held a conference call. Irving actually challenged the idea of actually restarting this NBA season. And people got to remember, before we set the background of this, Kyrie Irving is actually a vice president of the NBA Players Association. And he strongly advises that the players are considering skipping the restart of the season to avoid distracting from the protest and systemic racism. Obviously, this led to all sorts of kerfuffle from people on the social media streets. He got a ton of heat there. ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski called him a disruptor. Kendrick Perkins went on the DA show and said that he's basically just trying to stay relevant. He doesn't really care about this. He's trying to get Kyrie's name into the... That Kyrie's trying to get Kyrie's name back into the news. Now, 
criticisms of Kyrie. Is Kyrie the ideal messenger for this? Probably not. You think about Kyrie's history as a leader with the Cavs, not great. They didn't win a lot before, until LeBron showed up. Then he forced his way out of Cleveland to get away from LeBron, went to the Celtics, did not too much there. Went to Brooklyn, got himself into more trouble with the Nets, waiting for Durant to come back. Kyrie is not the ideal messenger. But that does not mean his message is wrong. Sports is, as we've learned, in this time we've gone without it. It's a distraction. When the games come back on, obviously people will start paying attention to those games. They will be curious how the Milwaukee Bucks do with Giannis Antetokounmpo trying to lead Milwaukee's first chances since the 70s, if LeBron can get another ring with the Lakers. People will pay more attention to that and less attention to what's going on with the protests and the push for a systemic, the ending systemic racism, ending police brutality, and all that stuff like that. Irving is a VP of the NBA Players Association, and there are players in the league who are clearly concerned about this, so it is his job to speak for those players, and putting his name to those concerns, definitely part of his job. His job is to give his voice to the rank and file who tend to get trampled on the NBA because the stars run the league. Kyrie is doing that, and that's he would not be doing his job if he had not listened to the rank and file, so he's fair concern there, doing a good job. There are also other issues that the players want to deal with. They have the financial concerns, which obviously, you think about it, you're risking money when you go down there. Especially if you are somebody who's up for a contract like Donovan Mitchell, you could, you know, go down there, get hurt before you're about to sign a max extension. Something could happen. You also have, you know, the potential of the coronavirus itself because we have no idea what the long-term effects are of after you get it. If you are a prime athlete, you get it, you recover with no symptoms, that thing is still doing damage inside your body. It could be giving you lung damage, and that's not great if you're an athlete. That's a valid concern. And the COVID virus, outside the tri-state area, right, where everything seems to be under control, people are wearing masks, the numbers are going down. Otherwise, the country, it's going up like hotcakes. Florida cases are spiking where the NBA is planning to play. Orlando, Orange County numbers are going up down there. And the players will be in the bubble. They'll be contained there, but that says nothing about the Disney staff who work there. They're not staying in the bubble. They're not getting tested as often. The point is that Kyrie's message is not wrong. He also is not actively going out there and saying, let's do it. He's, he said, like, whatever the players want to do, I will support. I will throw my voice behind what we decide to do. If we want to resume the season, I'll I'll resume the season with you guys. You know, he gets criticized. He's not going to actually physically play because he's out with it after getting surgery. But he's going to support them. He will also support, you know, whatever the decision the teams try to do. Austin Rivers, another uh, key figure in this this just matter, has discussion, has basically said that he thinks the players obviously can use the money they get from their salaries and they get paid down there. Hell advanced causes like Black Lives Matter. We've seen LeBron James is planning to run a get out the vote initiative to encourage people to vote. Like money like can fund initiatives like that. That's helpful. The NBA also can provide a tremendous platform for these players to promote the movement during its games. And obviously, people are out in the streets are protesting. They're all awesome people. They're, they're spreading the message of Black Lives Matter and that stuff. But there are people who live in their own little bubbles who can just, you know, 
ignore what's going on out there. They can turn on, you know, whatever TV show they want. Pretend this doesn't happen. If you give the players the platforms in Orlando, in places where you can reach some of these audiences who do not want to be reached, force them to listen to this message and get this across because this is not something that will go away overnight. Stop playing, not playing will send a message, but it will not do the job by itself. Awareness, promotion of this idea, promotion of the ideals of the movement, that can be achieved by the NBA. And the league has a right partner in Adam Silver. Adam Silver has a tremendous relationship with the players. He understands their plight. He made a very, very early stand against racism right in his first year as commissioner when Donald Sterling made the racist remarks about his own players. He bars Sterling for life, forcing to sell the team. That was right there, the beginning of a great relationship between Adam Silver and the NBA players. The league will support what they do. They will find ways to help them spread the message the right way with their platform that the NBA has. And it's a great opportunity to do that. This is a discussion worth having. This is all Kyrie was trying to do here. He's trying to say, hey, I get it. You guys want to play. You want to do this. But we cannot forget about this. We cannot just be, oh, basketball's on. Let's talk about what LeBron did on the court. Or, oh, let's talk about how the Bucks did tonight. We have to listen and not forget this movement when other things that distract us come back. This game is something that you can just compartmentalize when you go to the movies or when you watch a sporting event or when you go to the family barbecue. It's something you need to be aware of. This is where I think Adrian Wojnarowski is off base calling him a disruptor. He was not disrupting. He was raising valid concerns that should be addressed. I get that Kyrie's a little kooky. I know he's talking about the flat earth theory. I know he's talking about the players starting their own league and all these weird things, but the core of the message is there. Kyrie may not be the ideal messenger for it, but it's better that he does it than nobody do it. That is definitely something worth mentioning with Kyrie. He will be a very interesting figure as this progresses. I don't think it's going to short-circuit the NBA's return. I think they will be back as scheduled. I think we'll see a lot of movement to promote social justice, to promote the Black Lives Matter movement, to end police brutality, to end systemic racism. All that can be done from Orlando to start start keep the movement going. We will talk more about that as we go. But up next, we will go to my conversation with Anthony McCarron, which I will timestamp is here. This took place on Friday, June 12th. It's very important for me to mention that because a lot has happened since then. But we will listen to Anthony McCarron right after this first of many times we'll hear from Rod Manfred on this podcast. I'm a big believer um, in the process. Um, I would prefer to negotiate a new agreement with, with the MLBPA that gets us more games and resolves um, the issues that have separated us amicably. Uh, but at the end of the day, we negotiated for the right in March to start the season on a number of games um, that, that we select in these particular circumstances. And if we have to, we'll exercise that right. All right, we're here back on the podcast talking baseball, still trying to get some resolution as of recording date, which is on Friday, June 12th. Latest as of recording time, sounds like the owners are floating another offer out on the table, trying to bridge the gap between the players' negotiation. Join me today, somebody I've had on the podcast before. He covers baseball over at SNY. He's worked for the New York Daily News. Anthony McCarron is back with me today. Anthony, how are you? I'm good, Mike. How you doing? 
doing pretty good. How are you doing in the whole quarantine situation? Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I do a lot of work from home. So yeah, I know some people have, have, uh, you know, had to deal with a, a new phenomenon of, of working at home. It's kind of same old in that regard for me because I'm at home a lot, um, you know, with some of the freelance writing that I do now. And, uh, you know, I'm either at home working or at a ballpark somewhere or at a TV studio. So uh, that part has not been an adjustment. Of, of course, you know, there's thousands of other ones, it seems like. Uh, but books and uh, jigsaw puzzles are uh, getting me through. Yeah, I've done a lot of reading as well. I do have Jared Diamond's book, The Swing Kings. I still have to read that. I'm looking forward to that. Oh, yeah. That, yeah I, I've heard good things about it. I don't. I, I haven't seen it yet. Um, I just read Peter Body's Yankee book. Uh, he's a colleague of mine from the Daily News, um, which was uh, – that was a lot of fun. Uh, and I read Tyler Kepner's book. Uh, which was really good, and uh, Jack Curry's David Cohn book to kind of keep uh, you know baseball a little baseball flavor going while we're uh, waiting this out. Yeah, we are waiting this out, and I will say, like as a baseball fan, just seeing the tone these negotiations are taking on, I just feel this is so depressing. Like, what is your op- opinion, man? Like seeing these negotiations just occur in the background, basically getting Twitter leaks from people like Ken Rosenthal, Evan Drellick, and the like. Well, I mean, it's you know, look, it's it, it's. Difficult. It's a difficult time for baseball, obviously, and and you know what they need to do going forward here. But it's they're really unlikable right now, both sides, and you know that's not a good uh, position for them to be in. Um, you know, to me, they've you know this this whole negotiation about getting things going again has too much of a flavor of settling old scores, uh, marking territory for the CBA negotiation that comes after it expires in, after 2021. And not enough about like, wow, this is a crazy year. This is not, this isn't going to be a normal season, but we have to get some baseball in and get it going and give people something to watch on, on TV. I mean, this to me was a unique opportunity for baseball to seize some new fans, perhaps try some things on the schedule, uh, you know, in, in terms of the game, because the, the season would be so truncated and, and it sort of dissolved into this. You know, like you mentioned, you know, leaks on uh, leaks to reporters that get out on Twitter, and then the, you know they're negotiating, and and nobody nobody's happy. They're they're mocking each other's proposals on social media. It's a it's a bad look, and you know, I'm sorry if the sides have have long standing distrust. Uh, you know, I get it, but that's their problem, and they've turned it into like a baseball problem that's come out that's in public now. When all we want to do is watch some games on TV. Yeah, I would agree with that because I think the symbolism of the season starting on July 4th would have been fantastic because you could have had basically a month to yourselves before the NBA and the NHL came back in the mix. And they just threw that away. And I feel like it's just doing so much damage to this sport right now, just fighting out the money. Yeah, I I agree. And, you know, the idea that, uh, look, I mean, once they figure out what they're going to do, I mean, you know, the pandemic is, uh, you know, the coronavirus is going to have an impact on, on what happens too. I mean, that's, that's nothing that they can control, you know. So the idea to me of, of getting uh, getting and doing as soon as possible uh, is, is something that they should have been paramount uh, had you know in the forefront there, and they didn't do it. And you know, like every time we see another proposal, and it's going to be there's going to be another proposal. You know, the players aren't coming off 100 percent of their prorated salaries, or at least they haven't so far, and they've been pretty clear about it. And you know, if we're gonna ultimately get the commissioner to declare, you know, which he has the right to do uh, as per their March 26th agreement to declare a 50-ish game schedule, then let's just get to that and get it started and get going so we can, 
you know, maybe avoid the second wave of, of potential second wave of COVID-19 wiping out the postseason, you know, which is obviously a big moneymaker for, uh, for MLB. So I, I, look, I, you know, just get it done. I mean, enough, nobody cares about either side's problems, wants, they just need to get something done. I think they do. I do feel like also they're overestimating the patience of their fans. They feel, I think both sides are feel like, well, we'll prove we're right. And then baseball comes back. People will care. People will forget about all this and just be happy. The games are on, but I saw on on Twitter recently, Evan Roberts ran a poll from WFAN and he saw, he said basically that 50 something percent of the fans with this point would just say, you know what? Like just screw baseball. And I don't think they care enough that the fans are getting fed up by this. Well, then they're going to have to prove it because they didn't prove it after there were a lot. There was a lot of anger after 94 and what happened then, no world series and, and, and all of that strife. Uh, and it took a long time for fans to come back, but they eventually came back to the point where baseball is a $10.7 billion business. Uh, I believe that was the, uh, the reported revenues for, for 2019. And, you know, it took, I think I, I looked up a stat the other day, it took like 12 years for average attendance after 94 to get back to 94 levels after afterward. Now that's a long time, but fans eventually came back. <laughs> the, you know, the Lords of baseball, uh, they know these things and they, I, I imagine that they are looking at the anger, the fan anger that they see right now, uh, you know, readily available, as you say on social media and saying like, yeah, you'll be back because I, I mean, let's take the Mets for instance, if you're a Mets fan and the next Pete Alonso comes along in 10 years, someone who, you know, injects such excitement into a franchise, you know, you're not going to come back. You're, you're going to stay mad at baseball all that time. And then you're not going to peek at, the, at Pete Alonso too. I, you know, I don't know. So, I, I mean, I wish they were more, uh, you know, I wish they held, held their fans, passions and, and loyalty in, in better stewardship than they, than they're doing, but there's precedent for them to say like, yeah, we're going to do what we want to do. You'll, you'll be mad for a while, but you'll be back. I don't think they're underestimating the fact that their average fan base, the age, is very old for the baseball fan compared to like an NBA fan or a football fan. I do think they're having a lot of trouble attracting the young generation. Stuff like this is not helping. No, you're right, and they do have, and they have, they have other problems too that they've now added contentious negotiations to in terms of you know teams tanking, um, you know pace of play that they have not been able to solve. Uh, and and those kinds of things. And you're right. I mean, the average age is it's an aging fan base for baseball. And you know, is this this would have been this goes back to their whole opportunity thing. I mean, this you know, what if they uh, Joel Sherman of the Post wrote something about how uh, that I thought was really good about how you know baseball would have had a chance to you know put the runner on second in extra innings this year because it's kind of a it's so wacky of a year anyway. Why not experiment and see if any of these things you know, that changes that they could make that might affect pace of play uh, would really grab fans and be something that, that fans would, would get excited about. Um, you know, we'll, we'll never know with them swinging away over percentages uh, at each other. Um, you know, but yeah, there's all kinds of problems that are in the game. Um, you know, and, and you would think that with, with these things sliding the way they are, that they would pay more attention to the fan anger. I think they would. Or at least you wish they would. Wish they would. Sorry. Yeah, I do wish they would, too. And I do feel like that the tone we're getting these negotiations, if we get a deal, for me, it kind of feels inevitable that we're going to end up with like a work stop just the CBA expires in 2021. I just feel like we're primed for the owners staging a lockout to try and get more financial control of the situation, and the players are not going to go for that. Whatever happens this year with this season, and there will be a season. I mean, you know, the commissioner, uh, Rob Manford, uh, guaranteed it the other day, and, uh, you know, before the start of the draft, 
um, on TV, 100% there'll be a season. And he's right because he's the one who can say, okay, we're playing the 50-game season. Let's go. You'll get your, you know, your full prorated money and we're playing. And, you know, but, but whatever happens this year, the, the, the negotiations after 2021 are going to be bloody. Um, and, you know, I feel like that that is sort of injected a little bit into the rancor of this of all this sort of talk between the two sides because they're positioning themselves. You know, the players don't want to give up any, anything because they don't want it to, you know, recoil on them in, in, in those negotiations. And I'm sure there's hard feelings from the previous CBA where some people thought that the players gave up too much uh, and lost, you know, quote, lost those negotiations. So they're probably sore about that and they don't want to be perceived as losing this one, which means that everybody's going to go hard line on the next one too. So, yeah, I mean, if you are a real, like, labor, uh, baseball labor war geek, like, this is this is your wheelhouse right now because it's going to be all kinds of this stuff for a while now because this is just an appetizer to a full-blown Thanksgiving dinner uh, after the, 21, the 2021 season. Yeah, and this negotiation in particular, I don't think the owners realize. I think they underestimate how much leverage the players have because the players, all the things that the owners want, they want the expanded playoffs, they want the – well, the offseason home run derby, they could get the players mic'd up. None of that gets agreed to without a deal. Whereas the player can sit back and say, fine, you don't want to give us parade. We'll play your 48-game season and get it. So I don't think they're at, I don't think they give enough credit to the player's position here in this situation. Owners out of touch? Shocking. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding just because, I'm kidding just because it seems like late, lately owners have been more willing than ever to talk about their finances. And I say that tongue planted firmly in cheek. Uh, you know, the Cardinals uh, chairman the other day said, you know, baseball is not a very profitable business. And it's like, OK, stop right there. Somebody bought the Marlins for one point two billion dollars a couple of years ago. You know, the Royals recently sold for a billion dollars. Those aren't exactly the showcase franchises of the league. I'm not an accountant. I don't know how all the money works, but ten point seven billion in revenue, uh, TV money going crazy. Um, I, I don't think that, you know, that big, smart business people are in the owning of major league baseball team uh, business to lose money. So, you know, they're coming off. Uh, you can see why the players distrust them when they say stuff like that. Uh, you know, and, and look that, you know, the players do have leverage, and, but the owners have leverage too. They know that the players have short careers and that they can't do this the rest of their lives. And they're going to seek to exploit that just in the same way that the players, you know, celebrity is, is a hammer that they have and, and access to them. Um, you know, like you mentioned with the, with the miking up of players. I mean, you know, you want to get younger fans to, to pay attention to the game. That's kind of a cool thing, you know, and uh, you know, I'd love to see some of the young stars of the game miked up regularly and, and it would be at a great element, at, you know, which just goes to show you that they need to, that's another, another reason why they need to just get something done to get all the stuff into play. And we'll enjoy the. All of us will enjoy the game again. Yeah, they, we will. And I also think that they need to get move quickly because, as you talk about the coronavirus, like they're not doing what the NBA and the NHL are doing, where they're sort of just hunkering down in one spot, locking everybody down and playing. They're trying to travel, and we've seen like recently states like Arizona, Texas, Florida, California, all seeing their cases go up. So like, there's risk here of like waiting too long to get this going. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And you know, I mean, that's you know, that's part and parcel of this whole thing. You know, the players want to play as many games as possible, but MLB doesn't want to do that because they don't want to have a second wave potentially knock out, you know, the lucrative postseason. And, you know, 
you're right. I mean, would a bubble be better for this? We, we don't know the answer to that, and it's impossible to know the answer to that. Uh, and yet there is all this data about the cases coming out or spiking in some areas that kind of, you know, that sort of reminds us, you know, and, I, and hopefully reminds everyone how, you know, regardless of, of the negotiations, like the pandemic's got a big role to play in all of this and, and, and will dictate ultimately whether we'll have a world, you know, could dictate uh, ultimately whether we'll have a World Series or not. Yeah, that's true. And right now, obviously, we're get, we're getting a much significantly shorter season. It might be as short as forty eight games. Could be up to seventy, seventy two. Like, how big an asterisk do you think this year is going to have in the record books? Well, I mean, I look, I, I just think that everybody's going to have to say, like, hey, we had baseball. It was great, you know. And uh, the Padres won the World Series. Fantastic! Congratulations. Put the banner up at the beginning of the twenty twenty one season. Get your rings. You know, I mean, I, I don't consider the uh, 81 uh, Dodgers to be less of a World Series. I know that they played many more games than we would seemingly play this year, but I don't consider them to be any less of a World Series champion than uh, than any of the other ones. I mean, you you know, uh, a smart man once said, like, you, you play the games that are on your schedule, and that's it. And if everybody, you know, agrees to play the schedule and fans want to watch it, then I don't, I don't know if they can gripe about asterisks, you know, and... and and I don't think that they can whine about the World Series. You just gotta do what you can, play as well as you can in a short burst, and try to get to the postseason tournament. Yeah, I think the bigger aspect, not necessarily with the results of the season, I think more in terms of the individual stats. I know baseball's a game where everybody obsessed with the numbers and talks about this. Like, I don't know how people react if somebody hits 400 in a 48 game season and married to Ted Williams saying 406 and 41, or if like Jacob DeBrom wins the third straight Cy Young going three and two with a 170 RA. Right. I mean, it's just, you know, it's a sign of the times. It's yeah. a function of the season. And, and that's it. I mean, you, that's the only way you can. Uh, I don't know about that. You, you can't really gnash your teeth over that so much because, you know, they didn't have the opportunity to do it, uh, to do more. And uh, and maybe they would. That's why I think it's fascinating, you know, um, who, who would win the World Series? Because you could, you know, as we look, it's been the, the Nationals record last year after 50 games, as we all know, 19 and 31. They couldn't sniff the World Series, and now they're defending champions. And, you know, what if some bad team has the best 50-game stretch of their in their franchise's history? I think that, that sort of fills in the gaps that, you know, of dissatisfaction that we may have about a guy hitting 400 or, or, or not because we might see something crazy in terms of a team. You know, we're so used to the season playing out over such a long period, and, you know, one hot month, you know, can be – can make a season, but it's not like, you know, you have a hot month and you're guaranteed of doing something great. You know, now you have a hot month, you might find yourself in the playoffs and, and, you know, see what you can do. Yeah, I would agree with that. And one thing that's also we talk about with the shortened season is the universal DH. I think it makes sense for this year because obviously you don't want the pitchers getting ramped up as much. You don't want them hurting themselves, running the bases or batting. And you think it just speeds up the fact of it being permanent that maybe they do it now and say, okay, we'll just stick with it going forward. I mean, depending on the reaction to it. Yeah. And that'd be fine too. I mean, it is. Look, I mean, I, I, I love. I like. I'm. I'm one of the few people. I think I perceive as one of the few people who I don't. I, I'm fine with it. One league playing by one rule and one league playing by the other during the regular season. I think it's interesting both ways. But I am getting bored. You know, watching pitchers bunt and uh, and strike out a lot, and you know that's not great. I think I'd rather watch an aging hitter pound a few more home runs now across both leagues. I'm tired of watching pitchers get hurt, getting hurt on the bases. 
uh, and that kind of stuff. So, you know, I mean, maybe if fans respond, if NL fans respond to it, who knows? It could, uh, it could definitely become permanent. And it seems like there's, you know, there's plenty of people within the game who want it. Yeah, I think also one of the things coming up right now is the idea of the expanded playoffs, which is something that baseball clearly wants. And it does seem like there's momentum for that to be negotiated and a great pencil agreement going forward. And what are your thoughts on how if we on the playoff team now? Do you think it's the right right now? You think we could add more? Because I feel like if we're getting 16 teams in a 30 and 162 game season to make the playoffs, I feel like that's way too many. Yeah, yeah, that has always that that's always been a thing. You know, I mean. It used to be laughable. The NHL had so many. I think when they were when they were 21 teams, they didn't they have 16 in the playoffs. And you know, I mean, that's crazy. Um, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and and jacking up the amount of teams over a full season, you know, kind of takes away a little bit of you know surviving the slog. Uh, you know, I don't know. But this, but this, by the same token, like the postseason games are so tense and, and high excitement for the most part that it's it, it is fun to see more of them um you know i think they've i think right now they're on a good number after a full season um you know but more playoff more, more playoff teams means more playoff games which means more playoffs on tv and more playoff cash so uh follow the money and yeah that's that's where that's where we're headed yeah, I think that's where we're going. And before we before we wrap up, I want to touch on the two locals for a minute. And honestly, I'm a Mets fan. You know this. It's like I think the Mets are actually better off in a shortened season than they would be if they played the full 162. You think they have a bet? They would have better shot this year than if they actually played the year from the start. I agree that a shorter season is better for the Mets, uh, and I'll tell you why. Um, ever since last season, when they finished so well, I think every Mets fan on the planet has said, "Yeah, yeah, that's the Mets." the team that went, I don't remember what the record was, 40 and 25 or something along those lines at the end of the season. Well, they all forgot all those players were playing, you know, or most of them were playing when the team was a huge disappointment early in the season. But I do think that they have a, a tremendous amount of talent and enough to get a, 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 a hot streak going, uh, even without Syndergaard, where they can get going and get themselves in playoff position. So I, I like their chances as a playoff team uh, in a shortened season. And it, it, it could be a lot of fun if they can generate that same sort of heat they did at the end of last year. Yeah, I think just for, obviously, you're getting Jacob DeGrom and Marcus Stroman starting a great percentage of the games, which I think will help. And also, they are well positioned of anybody in the National League to use the Universal D8, because that gets you on assessments in the lineup without having to worry about him playing the field injuring himself. Yeah, I mean, I'll believe he's in the, I'll believe he plays in a major league game. Just a, just a, a, a rule here that he plays when he does play. But yes, and if they even without Cespedes uh, as a potential DH, they've got other guys. I mean, Dom Smith at that would soar in that case, and that would be a fun thing to see because uh, I, I enjoy watching him play. Um, but yeah, they're uh, they they are definitely set up well in that regard too. You know, I mean, NL teams don't generally build their teams with a potential DH in, involved, um, and the, the, the <laughs> Mets roster construction has ample DHs uh, to choose from. Uh, and if Cespedes is healthy, he certainly is is a big factor there. Um, you know, so yeah, they've got a lot of things going for them. And and, and you're right. I mean, the, Jacob Degrom starting, you know, what whatever it would be, twenty percent of the games is a good start too. Yeah, it's a good start. And the Yankees are also an interesting position because everybody forgets going into the year they would have had a lot of guys hurt because Aaron Judge was out, John Carlo was out, James Pastor was going to miss six weeks, Severino's still out for the season, but. 
I think the health would improve them, but you wonder maybe they're more vulnerable to a bit of randomness in a shorter season. Yeah, and it, you know, I think a big part of the season for any team is going to be um, how they're, they they deal with their pitchers. Um, I mean, obviously, that's a big part of every season. There's nothing new about that, but this is a new animal. You know, they, pitchers went through uh, much of spring training, and then it stopped, or a big part of spring training. Then it stopped. They went home. Now they're, you know, sort of getting ready to go back into a spring training scenario. How did everybody do maintaining, and, and did they do did they maintain in the right way, even if they did follow things religiously and, and diligently? So, you know, teams that manage their pitching uh, the best and have figured out how to do it for this crazy season, you know, they could have some serious success here. I mean, I think the Yankees kind of have a, a an advantage because they've got all those bullpen arms. And, you know, would it surprise you to have a team change the way they – to change the way that sort of modern pitching staff is used. And, you know, what if you, what if you had guys throw two or three innings uh, a couple times a week and deployed your bullpen, you know, in, in such a way, um, you know, that you were using a starter as kind of a bulk guy, uh, but, but not just with an opener, but on a regular basis. So, you know, I, I wonder if the Yankees have an advantage there. They do have some talented relief arms, obviously, um, and I just think that they're – look, I think they're going to make the playoffs regardless of what the season length would be. Um, you know, I think they're loaded with talent. Maybe the injury uh, stuff would – this, you know, the waiting and the, the healing has helped them, uh, but I think it's good – I think, you know, whatever, whenever the schedule starts, it's going to be good times for both New York teams. Yeah, I'll be watching when the season starts, and my last one for you is just a gut feeling your part. Where's the recording on Friday the 12th? Do you think we end up with a deal or do you think we end up with the mandated season? I think Manfred will uh, put, I mean, they should just do it now, to be honest with you. Uh, I think Manfred will have to uh, lock in the 50 game ish season and give them 100% of their prorated uh, salaries and, and let's get it on. I think that's what's going to happen. All right. We'll see how this plays out in the next couple of days. Anthony, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I, I let you go, how can people find you on social media? Oh, uh, uh, on Twitter, uh, at Anthony McCarron. All right, Anthony, thanks. I appreciate all the time. Oh, you bet, Mike. All right, and there you have it. That was Anthony McCarron talking baseball on the podcast, sort of reflecting on where things have gone with these negotiations, looking ahead to the future of the season here. I do think agree with him on the Mets. I do think the Mets are well-positioned. We will talk about the Mets in the coming weeks, how they might look like going forward. But up next, we will skip ahead in time. We will talk to our legal correspondent, Phil Freyde, about the outcome of the situation with the baseball negotiations right after this. All right, and there you have it. That was Anthony McCarron from SNY talking about the baseball. I do agree with him on the Mets. I do feel like the Mets would do very well in a shortened season. They are built pretty well for this. But up next, we're going to skip ahead in the timeline a little bit. We're going to Wednesday, June 17th. We're going to talk to the baseball beat right after this. We are back talking to the baseball beat for the first time since April. First up, the unofficial co-host of this podcast, somebody who I actually haven't talked to since the NFL draft in person. 
Will Snyderhand. Will, welcome. How are you? Good. How are you guys? Doing pretty good. I have to say, it's been. I feel like it's been so long since you've been on here. I feel like this is a very long gap. I was thinking about that today, actually. I was like, man, usually it was every, what, every like, other week almost, <laughs> and now it feels, like, it feels like it's been a long time, man. Like you said, NFL draft, Jesus, that feels like it was ages ago. <laughs> it, it really does. Like, I mean, like, I feel like in the rotation, I feel like it's sort of been the pop culture world, the regulars, regulars and our, our real correspondent, Phil Fryer, we're going to hear from later. They're the ones who've been popping up a lot, but... Our other get other part of the baseball beat actually has not been talked to since we were talking about a bubble in Arizona or Florida. Anthony Sorbellini is here with us. Anthony, how are you? I'm doing good, Mike. Hanging in there. I know. It's, it's, it's been uh, what feels like uh, years at this point. <laughs> yeah, it, we feel like we've gone, I feel like at least like 10 years, this man, about a month and a half. Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel like, you know, I don't know where 2020 went so far. I mean, I'm sitting here right now and, and we're in the middle of June right now. It's crazy. Yeah, I get, I have 2020. You could sum it up basically in one sound effect. <laughs> I mean, we've had hit it right on the dot right there. So much has gone wrong this year. Unless you're like a Kansas City Chiefs fan or like Ken Jennings, nothing's gone right for you in 2020. <laughs> Ever since the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, it's been downhill from there. It has, but we're going to talk about the baseball today. We, we were going to originally be on the end of the show, talk about long gone summer, but we bumped you guys up to the middle here because this baseball thing has gotten very, very weird over the last like week or so, wouldn't you say, Will? I think it's an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, weird, just simply idiotic, like childish. I mean, we could probably sit here and just throw nouns and words at it for an hour alone. But yeah, it's been like just so honestly, just, I don't even think I've cared for most of the last two weeks about it. I'll be honest. Like I just don't care to hear about it anymore. Yeah. I mean, killing both sides on the podcast for the tone deafness, how we're fighting over money in the middle of the pandemic. But here we are. I do have some oral clips, some uh, audio clips to help us sort of walk through the timeline here. We will start off. Back at the MLB draft, before I actually talked to Anthony McCarron last Friday, we will start there with Rob Man- with one of Rob Manfred's first great lines. I think at the end of the day, the most important thing, and I'm not buying into your number of 48, the most important thing is that we play Major League Baseball in 2020, and I can tell you unequivocally we are going to play Major League Baseball this year. That's the number one. At the draft, we are going to play baseball in 2020, 100%. Sounds great, right, Anthony? Oh, it sounds fantastic. But of course, we know uh, we know uh, where we're at right now. Yep, we are heading down that road. Let's go to number two first. I got to give a shout out to the great Carl Ravish, who actually does call out Rob Manfred on a little bit of BS here. Let's go to that one. Still from the draft. Well, I'll be honest. My number would be sixty to seventy games, and you pay a full prorated salary, and we get back to the game of baseball. Why wouldn't that be acceptable? You know, Carl, I'm not going to get into um, bargaining with you about issues with the Players Association. We'll make another proposal to them uh, that's consistent with the economic realities that we're looking at, including the fact that um, our our revenues are going to be down over 70 percent. And hopefully um, we'll find some flexibility on the other side and make an agreement. Okay, so we were at this point. Great job by Carl Ravitch actually calling out Manfred and saying, you know what? 60-70 60-70 games, pro ready, let's go. Manfred does the eye roll. And, I will. I love the Twitter gif of 
whoever it is zooming in on Carl Ravage is like looking in disgust as Manfred was basically like BSing him. Well, yeah, I mean, that's like his de facto move. I mean, we saw it throughout the Astro scandal and all how he handled that. And I mean, he really just like genuinely thinks he is so much smarter than everybody else. You know what I mean? Like, like it, I don't like I, I just the whole situation is just been so disheartening. And like, I get where like it's not all him, but like in that situation, yeah, when he's just sitting there, kind of you know feeding that you know BS. It's just like, like come on, man, like give me a break. Like at least like like answer the question. Like the way he answered it was so just dismissive. Like you know, don't Carl Ravage isn't a moron. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Carrage has been on the ball the last like couple of weeks, and then obviously we get the offer. We get the seventy-two games, where the players can get seventy percent prorated pay, up to eighty-three percent. The playoffs are played. PA gets disgusted and says, "You know what? Like, we're not like we're not talking anymore. They're just making the same offer over and over again. Tell us when and where to play baseball." And we're thinking, okay, Rob Manfred will manage the season. They'll file grievances with each other. They'll argue about that in court. We'll play baseball, so on and so forth. Then on Monday. On SportsCenter, on a special called The Return of Sports, Rob Manfred decided to drop this bomb on America. You told Carl Ravitch here on ESPN last week that you felt 100% certain that there will be a season this year. How do you feel today? Well, I know the owners are 100% committed to getting baseball back on the field. Um, unfortunately, I can't tell you that I'm 100% certain that's going to happen. Uh, I had been hopeful that once we got to common ground on the idea that um, we were going to pay the players full prorated salary, that we would get some cooperation in terms of proceeding under the agreement that we negotiated with the MLBPA on March 26th. Unfortunately, over the weekend, um, while Tony Clark was declaring his desire to get back to work, the union's top lawyer was out telling reporters, players, and eventually getting back to owners that as soon as we issued a schedule, as they requested, they intended to file a grievance claiming they were entitled to an additional billion dollars. Obviously, that sort of bad faith tactic makes it extremely difficult um, to move forward in these circumstances. What are your concerns for the optics of this circumstance playing out as publicly as they are during the time in this country where all the other things, the confluence of events involving the pandemic and protests in the streets and everything else, of this playing out as publicly as it is? It's just a disaster. For I don't think it'd be better said. It's, it's just a disaster, Anthony. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's about... One of the only things that, you know, Rob Manfred said that I fully agree with up to this point. I mean, he uh, he hit the nail on the head with that one. I mean, just everything. At this point, I just, it's incredibly tone deaf that the owners and the players are arguing over millions of dollars right now. Just with the state of the country, the world, everything going on with the pandemic and all. But I just want baseball back, man. I, I, I know we're all, the three of us now are, are literally begging and pleading for baseball, but I can't imagine all the other baseball fans. So, you know, the sooner we can see opening day out there, the just the better it'll be. It'll be. I agree. And the, this obviously, we're getting to the point where this comes out. Every, all of America basically just goes. People are freaking out. The players are going on Twitter saying, tell us where and when. The owners are getting, like, blasted to no end. Then we get to today, where we get a bomb from John Heyman that, that Rob Manfred and Tony Clark met in Phoenix, and it looks like we might actually get a season somehow. Can you believe that? 
I mean, what took him so, you know, what was the issue? <laughs> why did we just now have to, you know what I mean? Like what, why did it take until today to be like, whoa, guys, hold up. You think we should like, you know, meet <laughs> maybe the two most important people on both sides of this should actually sit down <laughs> and talk about it. Like, man, I just, oh gosh, it's infuriating. It really and- is, but I, Oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, baseball was in such a great position because they could have been the first sport back. Oh, yeah. You know, the only sport that would be playing. So you could attract even new fans just to be like, hey, you know, basketball is not on right now. No, not really going to be able to watch any sports. So for the hell of it, let's just start watching baseball. You can attract yeah. fans that way. But now you, you, you've alienated whatever fans you're hoping to bring in, and you've even alienated – some of the lifer fans. It's just oh, they, a terrible, yeah. terrible, they would terrible have had, situation for baseball. They would have had a. Uh, they would have had like uh, say they started this thing in like June. I mean, you have like a month and a half eyes on you for mm-hmm. a com- a commissioner who I mean called out the game's best player because he wasn't marketable enough. You know, a guy who's so worried about the next generation not watching baseball. I mean, it's honest to God, it's like I've never. It's like. This guy's on a fast break. He's LeBron James. No one's near him. Fast break. Nothing's in front of him. You could just dunk it and get the two points. And this guy just tries to, you know, do some crazy and bricks it every <laughs> single time. It's just astounding. Like I'm trying to like, I I don't mean to be that critical of like anyone, but and I know it's not just him. But man, just like you know, like it's not like this was hard to go and to go and figure out. Oh yeah, I mean it's. Like you said, you have that month and a half being the only thing on in the sports world. Like that, that should urge that should everything. urge you. That urges you enough. I I just I truly did not. I don't understand it. But here we are. And like I said, I know it's not just his fault. The owners have been just as terrible. The players, you know, like the the, the salary demands. I mean, it's just been like an all out failure on, on everybody's um, behalf. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, this is just so bad all around. Like, the owners look like clowns. Like, Bill DeWitt coming out last week and saying that baseball isn't profitable. Like, come yeah. on. <laughs> didn't, they just, didn't they just sign that, that like, billion-dollar uh, TV deal? Yep. Like, uh, guys, that's, where, yeah. does that money, where does that money go? Just into the air? No, it goes to you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was the breaking point to the – to the owners, like basically the players off when they see the the, t- the uh, deal there from and Andrew Marshan broke it on Saturday and he's like and they're like okay we're done you guys can claim you're poor but we know you can make money hand over fist down the line so just actually talk to us and you want us to start the season so that was happening we also had the fun bit though today we got the the word that they basically have owners finally took them long enough to get to full prorated pay. They're talking about the universal the DH coming in for the National League, expanded playoffs. The only difference now apparently is basically the number of games. Owners propose 60. Players want close to 70. You can basically see the math of the ball. We're getting about a 65, 66 game season by the end of the week. Yeah, which isn't like, like again, obviously I always would like to have the most games possible, but all things considered, I don't think that's terrible. I, I, honestly, it's so funny because that's really not that big of a difference between 50 games. But for some reason, I'm so much more like the 60 is more digestible to me than 50. <laughs> I mean, at this point, I'm, I mean, 50 is definitely low because baseball, you know, you're known for 162 games. But at this point, I just want baseball. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll take anything at this point. I mean, 62, you know, 60 games, 55, 50 games, whatever. 
this point, you know, let's get through October. Let's let's try to have some sense of normalcy in the fourth world. Yeah, we'll talk more yeah, about no, definitely. Yeah, we'll talk more about the logistics and all this stuff later in the podcast. Our legal guy Phil Friday, because obviously there's still stuff you have to worry about with the coronavirus. I mean, all this stuff is going on down there, and I want to tell you guys about the on-field stuff real quick. You have any any strong feelings about the Universal DH? Oh, give it to me forever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the same exact boat. I you know I want to see pitchers. You know they're paid to pitch. They're paid to pay the pitch. I don't want to. I don't really care about pitch hitting. Want it? So give me Universal DH all day. Yeah, very much so. I used to be super like, oh my god, I'm the National League. I don't care. You're right. I don't need to see, uh, you know, Jacob Degrom and his lucrative right arm get hit by a pitch. God forbid. Although he is a very good hitter. Exactly. I mean, just just echoing <laughs> that real quick. I just always flash back to the Yankees with Jim Ming Wong. You know? I mean, yep. <laughs> he was rounding third, messes up his foot, and his pitching career is done. But that was it. Yeah, that was it, unfortunately. So, yeah, give me the universal DH. Let me see Dom Smith get 600 at bats a year. I, w- I will miss that. I will miss the great moments when the pitcher does something incredible, like when Bartolo Colon homer in San Diego five years ago. Like I was going to say, don't you think, <laughs> don't you think that's kind of like the last, like that, that should be like, the, that should be like what put it to bed, right? Like Bartolo hit a home run. We don't need it anymore. Like <laughs> oh, that's absolutely. the thing. <laughs> We're done. We've seen it. Yeah, and Will, trivia question for you as a Mets fan. Who is the last Mets pitcher to, to hit then before the Universal DH goes comes in? All right. Oh, God. I'm a, oh, my God. It's going to be – is it someone obscure? Just tell me now if it's someone super obscure. No, starting pitcher. Starter? Yeah. Uh, Zach Wheeler? Noah Syndergaard. Okay. I, okay, lefty. Okay. Yeah. He, he, Good for Noah. Yeah, he, he could hit too. Yeah, he started the last game of the season last year, and he ex- and he was the last pitcher taking it back before they went to pitch hitters. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. So that was fun. I'm not. I did not look up the Yankee equivalent, Anthony. So I'm not going to ask you that trivia question. That was probably <laughs> way. That was probably way like harder to even. I mean, oh god, you got to dive deep for that one. Yeah, I will say though, the Mets going to be well equipped for that Universal DH because Yohannes Cespedes can't play left field. Oh, and yeah, I, I love it. I really do love it. Not even just because I'm a Mets fan and there's about four players on the Mets who should never see the light of day on the field again. Yeah, they got but, six. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, you definitely sign me up. I'm just, I'm, I really just, I think it helps the game a lot. And I mean, I don't know why players wouldn't want to do it uh, or age, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's a, doesn't JD Martinez, not to go down a rabbit hole here real quick, but doesn't JD Martinez get paid like $25 million a year for the Red Sox? Like, yeah. <laughs> think of yeah. that. I mean, it opens up so many more jobs. <laughs> and a lot more money for players, too, because those are high paying jobs, the DH jobs. Massive. Yeah. I mean, God, guys make a career off of that. Like, that's serious. That was, that's Big Poppy's career in a nutshell. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, exactly. Like, and, and especially for a guy like um, Nelson Cruz. <laughs> Nelly, <laughs> sorry, sorry guys. Um, again, I keep going back to Dom. Like Dom Smith, that is a guy who can just, albeit he is a good fielder. Uh, but yeah, it's a guy that like, okay, he comes up or, or uh, you know, like he comes up and there's 600 bats for you, 500 bats for you. I think it's very beneficial, and um, that's one thing I am really excited, honestly, to see. Uh, just guys get more offense, man. I'm tired of the National League, like you know, get looked at as this kind of like slapping around little league stuff. <laughs> yeah, I would say that thing. The other thing that I'm not as excited about is the 16 team playoff that's coming for two years. You know, once it comes in, 
it's never getting less than that. And yeah. this this year, I'm like, okay, you know what? It's a short season. You know, what? get more teams in. The best, like, it'll give us more, like, more of a sample size in case, like, some random team doesn't do as well as they should. They can still get a shot at it. But if we're having a 16 team playoff in a 162 game season, what's the point of playing 162 games? Yeah, yeah. I just feel like in baseball too, like it's one of the last sports that really a post like a division matters, and like making it to the playoffs is like a big deal. Like I, no offense to the other leagues, but like the NBA, like half the freaking league makes it. Like, like can you tell me who won? Yeah, exactly. Hockey also. Like, like could you any of you? tell me who won like a, a division in, in the NHL or NBA. Like it does not matter. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's no, there's no emphasis on it, no value to it. So it is, I really do hope that there's pushback on that later though. Like I just don't want to see a, you know, it incentivizes like teams to just win 80 games and sneak in, you know, that's one of the beauties of the MLB playoffs. There's, you can't really just crap your way to it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Anthony, any thoughts on it? Yeah, the wild card game. How that is to win your division now, Chris. I mean, baseball is such literally a day-to-day sport where you could your 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 ace could have one bad game and then you're all of a sudden out of out of the uh, out of the postseason and you could have won you know eighty-five, ninety games, but you know you couldn't win your division. But now it's going to throw everything up. I think you know, and that that uh, that wild card game, that one game playoff was. One of the best things that happened to baseball in the past like ten years, ten or so years. Oh, no, you're exactly right. Like it's like that is, like you know what I mean. Like if it, team, like if you're a team, you're playing to get in and you want to get to it, but you do not want that game because, like you said, like uh, I mean, we saw um, like when Arietta pitched, didn't he? Or even look at Arietta. Arietta went and did it in Pittsburgh. Look what um, uh, Bumgarner did to us in that game. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just. That's what it. That's what it. I love it. I love. That's like the beauty of baseball. Like you said, anything can happen. So I just don't like this idea of this, you know, diluting it and getting all these teams in it, and then maybe you have a team who's terrible. Like you know what I mean? Like how many years did the Orlando Magic make the damn NBA playoffs and they just get, you know, they're just like LeBron's doormat. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. It, you know, it, it diminishes the value of making the playoffs and everything. And I get, I get the money. Obviously, it always comes down to money, and it, blah, blah 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 blah. But I just, I don't. I love baseball for that. Like when you win your division, I am amped. Winning the division matters. Every time you advance in the MLB playoffs, it matters. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I just, I, I don't like that. It, it, and to be honest, like that's a crap ton of like baseball games are long, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And that's a lot of playoff games. And like you said, like 162 regular season games, and then you're going to go play that? I mean, wow. I mean, I hope the owners understand that, like, yeah, you're going to be getting more money in your pocket from the playoffs. But, I mean, you're crazy if you think the players are going to be like, oh, we'll keep our normal salaries with these expanded playoffs and postseason teams when we're playing 200-plus games a year. You know what I mean? I yeah, I just I went to the standings last year as a point for a reference of the expanded playoffs. Like the National League, you got lucky last year. You would have had, you would have had eight above five hundred teams. The last one ended up in the Cubs at eighty four and seventy eight. The American League, the disparity: the Houston Astros were first in the league with one hundred seven wins. Eighth place is Texas Rangers, seventy eight and eighty four. They keep playing a best of three series for Texans to win two games to advance. That does not seem good to me. 
no, like, gosh, no, please, no. (laughs) (laughs) There were were 29 games behind the Astros in the standings. They're going to have a two out of three shot to beat them. Yeah, see, that's what I mean. Like, doesn't that just, like, like, it's not a, you know, complex term, but it just sucks. (laughs) That just sucks. Like, I don't, (laughs) like, how many times do, like, like, uh, to be honest, like, being completely honest with yourself, how many of you, do either of you really sit down and watch, like, the first round of the NBA? I mean, I, I'll i give the NHL a little more prop. Like, it, it, it's so intense. Like, every playoff series is so intense. But, like, we're not watching the first round of the NBA playoffs. Like, people try to tell you, like, oh, the four versus five is a cool series. Well, it's not because those teams aren't even going to matter after the next round. I really don't want to watch, you know, the number one seed in the team in the league just go blow out the the lower seed. And like you said, I just uh, I just also in baseball, like I know there's any more anything can happen, blah blah blah. But I don't know. I'm just not into it. I'm really not into that idea. I think it's really just stupid to be honest. <laughs> you don't need half the <laughs> league playing the playoffs. You don't need it. Keep it the way it is. That's one thing that I'll preach. I know baseball is stuck in its times and I'll sucking its way for a lot of things, but I'd rather uh, stay to what we have now. Yeah, they have, they have not, like, yeah, that's something I feel like once it's once it starts, you, you never get the owners to read less playoff games. Like, once that happens, no, yeah. it's, it's staying. Like, it's not going to go... Well, not, yeah. They will never... There's never been a league to actually cut its schedule or cut its playoffs. They always add more. Oh, once you put the money in the pocket, it ain't going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Speaking of the money going in the pocket, we let's shift gears a little bit. We will go over to the thirty for thirty we watched on on Sunday. In my case on Tuesday, I DVR'd it. Long gone summer. The story of the ninety eight home run chase from Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, directed by AJ Spack like uh, Spacknell. And I think I'm pronouncing his name right. But before we go any further, I will put the spoiler warning up in case you don't want to be spoiled about a documentary about a home run race you're all aware well aware of. <laughs> All right, you can get out if you actually want to watch this thing. But boy, this was bad. No. It, was, uh, it was, it was bad. It was, it was terrible. Uh, it was just, I mean, halfway through it, I felt bad that I thought it was bad, yeah. and then I was like, no, this sucks. This is just bad. I'm not the, I'm, I'm not the bad guy here. <laughs> for a thirty for thirty, it's very shocking that that was what the final product was i mean like what what the heck was like uh, listen guys so if you're if anybody's listening to this and they're still thinking about watching it go on youtube go on youtube and just look up a montage because i'm sure there's one that exists of the home runs from that season between the two save yourself an hour and a half all right just watch the homers get the idea and that's it because that's all it's all that this documentary (laughs) can say that there are home runs hit that's all that's all that I can really assure you. <laughs> Literally, I mean, all the interviews that they had didn't add anything to the story. Oh, God. And, and no. Mark McGuire <laughs> was just, I live for baseball. <laughs> How many I'm times like, did he say that? Okay. How many, <laughs> I, I, was just, I was just bored to do it. Like, listen, I'm, I'm not going to get on a guy for like, the, like, I get it. If you're uncomfortable and it's so obvious that he was, that's just fine. Yeah. But as the person, I mean, uh, we're, we all ha- are going to submit a documentary, have submitted, submitted a documentary for our thesis. So we've all kind of gone through that progress or process. Uh, if the guy is, if the interviewee is that bad, 
you got to figure out a way to get around it. I mean, <laughs> he was like, like he did. How many times? Oh, is this baseball is all I did. Like, didn't he blame at one point? Did he really blame a divorce on that? Like, yeah. wasn't he like, I got divorced because I just love baseball so much. But yeah. Wow. <laughs> and his first introduction, he's like, I love baseball so much it led to my divorce. I was like, wait, yeah. what? Yeah. Oh, man. I was like, okay, Marky. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Will and I both had the experience of having a class taught by one of the great documentary makers of all time, Ross Greenberg. And remember one thing Ross has told us before. He's like, if the interview is bad, don't feel obligated to use it. I get that's tough here because Mark McGuire is one of the two big names here. McGuire and Sosa yeah. are the home run chase. Without McGuire, you don't really have the movie. But McGuire was just, his personality was just a piece of wood. And the director, whoever did the interview, did not get anything out of him to make it more interesting. And when you're relying on that, that's a hard sell. And I do think also they didn't do a good job with who they interviewed because I feel there are people missing in there. Like we just talked around Ken Griffey Jr. We couldn't have talked to him for five minutes and got his respect oh, on the dude, list. I, I mean, and I know that when you say your rundown, that was one of your exact questions. Who did they leave out? Ken Griffey Jr. I know. How, many, <laughs> how many times did they freaking bring him up? I mean, yeah. every time Ken Griffey Jr. was the one that they thought, I, 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 guys, get a quote get him in there for a second i mean really it was it was like bizarre wasn't it like you, or, every single time they referenced the chase ken griffey jr was in it because he's a part of it <laughs> they all kept saying you know i thought ken griffey was gonna be the guy to do it exactly I was like, <laughs> and they kept I mean, showing in the very beginning when you know when mcguire first got on his hair they said they had the first three people was mcguire griffey and then sammy Sosa came out of nowhere I mean, and like maybe I don't know. Maybe he declined being in it. Like I have, I, which I find hard to believe because like he's gonna be in his own documentary that's on LB Network this weekend. <laughs> so like, yeah. I don't know. That I thought that that was such an omission. Like, here's this huge home run race that this guy was so involved in, and we don't even get to hear from him for literally a sound bite. Yeah. If he did, if he said no, just, you're not telling me there's archival footage of him talking in '98 about it you could have used to give him a voice in it at least. Like, didn't you guys think that like it was just too much of them? You know what I mean? Like, like, like getting Griffey's perspective on it, especially after the fact, knowing what happened, what has transpired. Like, whoa! Like, you know what I mean? That that is like, like Phillips. You reference like, <laughs> I'd love to hear what Ross had to say about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. You'd probably be like, guys, you gotta get him in here. Yeah. I, I think the thing I hate the most about it was that it was about the the home run race between Maguire and Sammy Sosa. But Sammy Sosa in his interviews didn't add anything. He was just like a, he was the, there. One thing there. Give, the one he was thing there. The one thing I'll give to him though, is like, he's, he's in like this, what this Florida apartment for most of it. I was thinking Florida, <laughs> like they've got these really colorful paintings and stuff. And he kind of had like a lot of charisma to him. But yeah, when you're like, you're like, all right, I kind of get his vibe. And then you're like, wow, he's really not offering much either. And to his, to his defense though, I thought that um, the interviewer did a awful job at, at uh, like handling his interviews. I mean, it was like nothing. Was oh, nothing yeah. was there. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That was a bad call. I also feel like, how do you not have Joe Buck when Joe Buck is the one calling the Cardinals games and calls the six-second homer? How do you not have him? Dude, his dad, and his dad was, like, such a big part to it. Obviously, yeah. I know you cannot, uh, but like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. wow, guys, there's mm -hmm. another. And again, I, I had seen that somebody maybe thought 
maybe contractually, like since it was going to be on ESPN, he couldn't do it. But like, aren't the 30 for 30s kind of like, like, are they solely produced by ESPN? I thought they were kind of like sold to ESPN. Like, I, that's what I thought. I, I, I think it's a mixture between both. They kind of have like their certain, you know, directors that they kind of keep in house, but then. No, that would make sense. So, like, uh, again, like, uh, I don't really care about the grounds crew guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it was cool that he caught the ball and everything, but it's like, and then it cuts to him, literally just cuts to him saying on the little stage there, Mr. McGuire, I have something for you. And then that's it. Yeah. Like, what is what is that at? Uh, dude, I, yeah, yeah. I completely agree. I don't think it added anything, yeah. <laughs> especially not for how much he was in the damn documentary. Yeah. I know. Yeah. One other one I thought they missed that they definitely need to get, especially when you get to the end. We'll get to the end. The end was its own disgrace. Where's Bud Selig? Oh. <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, well, you know, I'll be honest. Do you really think he was going to be in it, though? Like, do you, I mean, maybe. Maybe, right? Cause yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe he's just yeah. like, yeah, I don't want to freaking be near any of that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, even put on the screen, Bud Sealy denied. Like, we asked Bud Sealy to talk. He said, no, they didn't. They basically like they didn't even bother reaching out to him. Yeah, I mean, hey, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one of those, maybe like that did happen, but you're right. Like, like you said, you got to do that. What if you go let, let the people know? At least he didn't want it. Yeah, because there, like, yeah. there was nobody really like representing the league there that much. It was really, it was all journalists. It was people who like covered the Cardinals and the Cubs. It was like no official league like representative sort of discussing anything. Yeah, because like in the Jordan back, um, uh, oh my gosh, I'm completely blanking on his name. The commissioner was in it, both Silver and uh, oh my gosh, Stern. Who's the other Stern. commissioner? Stern. Thank you, God. Couldn't think of it. Um, he was in it, and I know obviously it's like a, it, but wasn't like Stern was talking about a lot of the Jordan like conspiracies with like his father passing and stuff, and I can't imagine that was comfortable for him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and he addressed uh, when Jordan first retired to go play baseball. It's like, yeah. what's the, what's the, uh, the myth behind, you know, was it a temporary, you know, was it the suspension? That's why he did it. Yeah, yeah an uncomfortable discussion, no doubt. And, I mean, well, we've seen how our current commissioner handles uncomfortable discussions, and I don't think, you know, he falls <laughs> far from the ceiling tree. So, I guess we kind of see, we kind of understand where he stands on that. But, I mean, I, didn't, I can't wait to you get into the end of this because I have a lot to say about it. <laughs> yeah, before we get to the end of this, I want to ask each of you, like, give me some things that they did wrong with this. I'll get to you first, Anthony. Well, I mean, for someone who, I mean, I love documentaries and not just sports docs, just pretty much documentaries about everything, anything. You know, as much of a diehard baseball fan as I am, I, and, you know, I didn't get the, I, I grew up during this, but I was so young to that I don't remember anything. In you know '98, I was I was four years old, so I don't remember anything. But I feel oh, after, come on, dude. <laughs> I mean, I feel after watching this this doc, I didn't really learn anything about it. You know, they they made such a big thing, there was such a big impact. Like you know, five thousand people are coming pregame to go watch BP. Why wouldn't you go interview like a super fan or something, or just a fan, get the overall like atmosphere, you know, during that time. Uh, I actually, I'm like right in line with you. I think that that was uh, like the select fans they had, like May one, <laughs> like it was cool. But uh, like to be honest, like you actually cited like that batting practice thing was like really intriguing, and um, the fact like that they only touched on it for a little bit. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I felt like every time there was a 
you kind of came back around and you're like, all right, they're kind of building this up the right way. Boom. Back to like, just nothing. You know what I mean? Like, I I felt like that was cool. Like I would have loved, loved to hear about that more. And, and, and it just, it didn't, every time you thought it kind of was getting a full head of steam, it just sizzled out in my opinion, you know, like uh, (laughs) I, I just wish that I feel like he was constantly trying to like, tell you on who the guys were but then even then like Phillips and you, you had already said like we heard nothing from Sammy Sosa <laughs> like I wish I heard a lot more from Sammy Sosa and, and like a lot like more substance to it I, I just felt like it was like he was there because he had to be there <laughs> yeah this felt like the Mark McGuire documentary and now I can get into my list I have a lot of grievances with this documentary Number one is something I pointed to like off the air. It's like the use of the B-roll that bothered me when they were showing the old games and they were showing the fans in the stands. They would cut the footage of fans from today in the stands and you'd see people with like Jason Hayward jersey or Matt Carpenter jerseys. They were not there in the 90s. Come on. Oh, no, that was the best part. Here's a beautiful Wrigley Field. We're talking about Harry Carey, Wrigley Field, and a oh, nice Saturday ball game at Wrigley Field. This uh, Sammy Sosa home run, and here's Kyle, the guy in a Kyle Schwarber jersey celebrating in the stand. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I did. I, I guess that's like a, like, at first I was like, maybe that's like a little nuance where I'm being too nitpicky, but no, you're right. When you're talking about something from 1998, I don't need to see the streets literal with Matt Carpenter's jersey. <laughs> yeah, that, that was terrible. That was number one for me. Number two, the music in this thing was awful. And the music and this thing, it's like this. I, I, I'm like you guys. I was a little older when this happens. I do remember this. This was the most boring music you could have picked for a home run movie because it was literally like there are times they're showing the montage. You're like putting you to sleep when the home runs are being hit. You should be hearing like bang, loud music, <laughs> rock music, like something to get you excited. And, and they didn't do that until the six second homer. There was so I don't want to go. I won't go along here. But so remember when McGuire. They talk about McGuire hitting some significant home run, like on Father's Day or yep. his dad's birthday or something. Like that. Mm-hmm. I swear to God, the two minutes preceding that until like he said that, I just completely checked out. The only reason that sticks into my mind is because I remember going, "Wow, that was like interesting that he hit his home run on this significant date." But the fir- whatever happened before this was so damn boring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was pretty. That was pretty bad. Another grievance I have with this is like, why? Like, I think this is a missed opportunity by the director there, considering the two guys. Why not try putting them in the room together? Because they, you saw what they did in the press conference. They were so much more fun when they're with each other. Why not try that? I was gonna say that definitely because didn't they also in the documentary they kept hinting about how like the two of them were so good together and LaRusa said how like with Sosa it was so much easier for McGuire to handle it. Yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> Just layups after layups. <laughs> yeah, and it's like now McGuire's still coaching. McGuire retired from being a coach so he could be around his kids more. Like it would take it wouldn't have killed him to fly them to one place for one day and let them talk to each other. I feel like you've got much more interesting stuff out of that than and I feel they would have been more open with each other than they were just talking to a camera. Oh it, it, no doubt. I completely agree. Yeah, any thoughts on any of the issues I raised? I mean, you hit everything right on, and I couldn't agree with you more. This is a very, very forgettable documentary. It's definitely one I wouldn't recommend on the top of the list. But I also think, you know, we all got spoiled from the last dance and everything. But then again, this was pretty pretty bad. Well, I mean, even the Lance, I don't know. Did you guys watch Lance Armstrong? I, I, I did. 
Lance was like Lance. Lance at least made you feel something. Like you could still, I, I still can't stand Lance, but at least they got you to feel something. This made me feel nothing. Oh, oh no, I was gonna say I actually like. I, I know some people didn't like that doc, but I actually enjoyed it. I enjoyed the Lance doc because yeah, like you said, like he, he was like the, the interview. It was very well done. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, this one was just like, oh man, it was it was so deflating as you get all pumped up for it, and then like I just that wasn't to me in retrospect. Yeah, it captivated the nation at the time, but like the reason that story still is so intriguing to this day is because of who was involved and what happened and what was used, and you completely ignored that. To me, nobody cares about in today, twenty twenty. Nobody cares about that home run chase enough, like at it on its own, right? To stand for an hour of that documentary, it, it was just ridiculous. I don't think anybody cared that much about the race alone as much as they did care about the fact that these are two juicers, you know, mm-hmm. or alleged juicers who captivated baseball. It's kind of like one of those dirty things where you're like, wow, steroids saved baseball. This huge negative that tainted the game saved baseball. That's the story to me, and it was completely, completely botched. Yeah. Yeah, I remember two weeks ago, I watched, I watched Lance Part 1. I remember clearly the story where you talk about the, the people at the restaurant who – Basically walked up to him and said, "F you, f you, f you, f you." Yeah, and yeah. And then he goes, he says, "I'm like, I'm paying for the bill. Let them know it's me." I remember nothing from this documentary, and I watched it 24 hours ago. <laughs> yeah, I, it was. I'll be honest, like I stopped it and then went back and out because I watched. I wanted to finish it for the because we were talking about it on here. Uh, if we were not, if you didn't want to talk about it on here, I'll be honest, I wouldn't have went back and finished it. But cut it off and call it a night. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, speaking of the end of this now, we will get to the big elephant in the room, which is the steroids, because we're all dying to know about that. They briefly touched on it in, the, in about like an hour in when they talk about the find the Andro and Mark McGuire's locker. We get the conversation at the end, which they start off horribly because they're like, oh, by the way, steroids happen. And then they start off with a shot of Barry Bonds, who was not even in this stupid thing. Oh, no, <laughs> like, that was honestly. I'm like, they're throwing Barry out of the bus. That was one of my biggest uh, pet peeves, too. It was literally what you like. Oh, guys, okay, here comes the big thing. But oh, here's Barry Bonds, right? Barry, big steroid guy, not these two. That was a joke. And then when they brought up the McGuire stuff when they found it, they were like, it was like, oh, they talked about it. And then they went to the creatine thing and like dangle Greg Fischio in front of it in that. I just felt like it was constantly passive aggressively being like, oh, look at this instead of this. Like, you know what I mean? It yeah. was just, it felt like such an afterthought. Like, oh, this was, like, prevalent, but, like, we don't have anything to talk about, so let's just throw this in and not really plan about anything. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's just sanity. They had to talk about it. These two, that's why it was so, that's why it is so intriguing. And they didn't even talk about the cork bat, did they? No. Like, one of the, one of the more interesting stories in baseball history is Sammy Sosa's cork bat <laughs> blowing up in a game. I just, I, I don't know. I don't know. Speaking of Mr. Sosa, by the way, this is another point doc to the interviewer. Whether I think it's the, I think it was the director doing the interview, but this conversation at the end here about when they asked Sammy yeah. about, the, about the steroid thing, let's listen to this. I was the only clip I pulled from this thing. Current owners of the Cubs seem to want you to say something about steroid use. They want you to quote unquote come clean. But why do they worry about me when pretty much everybody, everybody in that era did it? Why are they specifically focusing on you? Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, 
I'm a very happy person, my friend. I'm good. I'm happy. You know what I mean? Do you feel like there's more pressure put on you to say something about this than is put on other players? I asked you once again. And that list was about 106 players. It is about about four or five, maybe more than that, in, in the Hall of Fame. So, you figure it out. So I, I am the one to blame. Two problems with that quest, line of questioning. Number one, how do you not follow up on, there are four or five guys in the Hall of Fame who are on the list who did steroids. How do you not follow that up? And number two, when Sammy's saying, why ask me, you have to clarify to him. You hit 66 home runs in 1998. People want to know why if you did steroids <laughs> that year. That's the whole point of this stupid thing. They don't get it. No, uh, letting him play coy, yeah. Like, uh, Sammy, yeah, there's like a really big, you know, not only just hit 60 then, you know, you kind of sucked until you just started to get big and powerful and all this. And, yeah, so there's like a real indication. People want to know why. And then, like, yeah, I mean, come on. Like, I actually, I actually do, like, kind of side with him when he is like okay like get off my back like why me like everybody else did it you didn't press mcguire as much you know what i mean right i actually i kind of do get that but at the same time yeah you gotta it, like, you gotta be like listen sammy you hit 66 dingers in one year you know come on <laughs> it's just so bad it's like literally like he's there you have to ask the question you have to if he's clearly is ducking it you have to ask him point blank like this is about you and the home run chase. McGuire did things. You went in front of Congress in 2005 and pretended not to speak English in front of the in front of the committee because you didn't want to answer the questions and you had your attorney speak as the interpreter for you. At some point, ask him, like, did you do steroids in 1998, yes or no, and get the answer on camera? I mean, even if you, you know, even if it's the last one, you piss him off and he never wants to talk to you again, whatever. <laughs> That's why you do it at the end. Yeah, exactly. You everything you need. Yeah, okay, well, he hates me now, whatever. Like, yeah, like, come on. Part of being, like, a journalist and these guys who do these documentaries is you got to ask the tough questions, man. you got to be more forceful than that. Like, in the Lance documentary, not to keep going back to that, the interviewee, Lance constantly tried to duck out of questions, and they would not let him. And that's what made that so intriguing because he kept forcing him and forcing him to give you legitimate answers. Yeah, because not everybody is Michael Jordan. Not everybody will actually give you, like, stuff and, like, actually be completely, like, honest with you. Like, like Sammy was – Sammy clearly had something he did not want to discuss. It's your job if you're doing this to get some sort of answer. Even if it's, like, a no, like, just get some sort of answer from him. Not, like, let him, like, duck the question and be, like, a martyr. Yeah, and also, like, Sammy, I'm sorry, but, like – Again, the reason you're still relevant is for being like one of the biggest steroid or alleged users during the peak of steroid era. Like nobody's really asking you to come back around because they thought you're going to be like a Hall of Famer. You know what I mean? Like we're not bringing the Sammy Sosa Hall of Fame tour out here. We're bringing out the <laughs> oh, here's Sammy Sosa and his corked bat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's let's wrap this up a little bit. Let's go. Let's do add out some artware. Let's go go, go around the panel real quick. Anthony, who is your MVP of this documentary? Uh, <laughs> hmm. I guess I'll just give it to McGuire just because I don't, I never really knew anything about McGuire. So it's kind of interesting, you know, what little information that he did give and everything. But I'm just looking at it from a pure baseball fan. It was, it was a cool moment to see, especially, you know, growing up during it and not remembering any of it. 
Will, how about you? Who's your MVP? The guy who did the credits at the end because it was over. I mean, I'm seriously, I don't think anybody in that documentary is, was riveting. I don't think anything, like, maybe the guy, the, ball, the groundskeeper guy, because, like, I guess I liked him. <laughs> I, like, seriously, though, I, I'm not trying to be, like, some, like, over-the-top, like, like, it was bad. I, I genuinely didn't really like him. I could be, like, Peter Costas. Yeah. I liked him. <laughs> yeah. My my guy's Bob Costas. I think he's the MVP. Because yeah. I think, I think, yeah. like, I think he actually put some thoughts into the air that actually like articulate how we really feel about this thing now. Like, I think he made a great point at the end of it too. Is like, it was not illegal at the time. Like they, like they were following the rules of baseball. Was it immoral? Sure, it was not illegal. That's my take on uh, it. Yeah. No, I can. Yeah, he was the only one that that really offered much. And yeah, and him and the uh, the credits guy. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go the other way. Let's go the LVP route. Who was who came out of this looking the worst? I'll give it to you, Will, because you clearly have a lot of candidates in this. <laughs> no, I mean, this one's easy. Oh, it's Sosa, isn't it? Sosa. Like, oh, he, wasn't, yeah. he wasn't given – again, I really don't like – I will scapegoat him to a degree where, like, I don't think he was necessarily given the platform. Like, I guess the directors thought, oh, this really boring Mark McGuire is so much more <laughs> – so much more interesting than Sammy Sosa. <clears throat> um but like Sammy Sosa, so like yeah, I, I I have no recollection of Sammy Sosa playing, not really. Like so, this is like I remember I know Mark McGuire, blah blah blah. So like I really would have loved like when they talked about Sammy Sosa coming up and playing a little bit, like that was cool to me. Like hey, I'm learning about this guy. Um, I didn't like, I just didn't like how they like had him in it. Like I don't know, maybe like he really didn't want to answer the questions, but I would have loved to have like seen him kind of explain himself more, like talk more, be involved more. I didn't need to see that much, much, much McGuire. So maybe like he's the LVP because like this wasn't given the platform. Um, but at the same time, maybe he's the LVP because he was garbage <laughs> as an interviewer and they didn't want to put him in there. But he was my LVP. Anthony, any, any new LVP candidates? Yeah, I mean, I, I fully agree with Sosa, but I'm going to take a different route. I'm going to go within the uh, director's route. You know, there's just so much stuff that's left out that, you know, you could have done as, you know, a documentary filmmaker, as a journalist, as just everything. There's just so many so many things that miss the mark. Yeah, I am with you entirely. My M LVP is AJ Schnack, the director, because I'm looking at this thing. I watched this thing, and, like, you guys know, like, I did a thesis writing about the history of the home run where I covered stuff like this. I covered this home run chase for five minutes in there. I felt like I learned more in five minutes of my piece than I did in two hours of his. Uh, yeah, because you didn't waste <laughs> you didn't waste an hour and a half episode of freaking home run replays. You went short and sweet. You told the same story in the correct amount of time. Because as I said before, the story is not just the chase. You know what I mean? Yeah. And as you put in your doc, it was not just the chase. I just, I just, I can't imagine that this director actually thought like people cared that much about the chase alone. Like I just, I, it just, it, that is not the reason why that story was so intriguing and is so intriguing now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just completely misguided. I think it's definitely missed the mark because. There was a story to be told about, like, you basically also did not set the stage up very well about how important it was in bringing the game back from the, from the strike. You talked about it briefly for five minutes at the top, like, oh, the strike happened, and then two hours of home runs, and then, oh, steroids. Like, 
you could have built a little time talking to fans about how they didn't want to talk to go watch baseball again. You could have spent time on the steroids. We did not need a two-hour montage of home runs. It's not a good documentary. No, you're, that's exactly what it was. Yeah, like like it. If you had no, it, so like if you didn't have any idea of what was going on before you got into it, uh, like with the strike and stuff like that, like you just, I feel bad. Like if some young kid like just watched that, they're probably like, I, I don't understand what I just watched. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. said, no, no build up, no build up at all. You also could have used a little more on Roger Maris too, because like he was the guy who had the previous record, and there were a lot of parallels in the two chases where. McGuire and Maris kind of the same personality. Sosa and, and Mickey Mantle sort of had the same personality. Like they didn't even mention Mickey Mantle's name once. No, and they like they like hinted at it. Um, they hinted at it like, a little bit again. It was one of those things where like they showed a glimmer, a glimmer of light, and then boom, back to the back to like the stuff we don't care about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll tell you one thing that I thought was really interesting, just because you you brought up Maris, Mike, was that you know Maris was very hated for you know breaking Babe Ruth's record yeah I know That's which a- was which was a crazy thing that they 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 touched on a little bit but it would have been more you know interesting to touch on it more it would yeah, that, that was like literally one of the thing sorry not to cut you off but that was one of my big things too yeah they talked about it for a second <laughs> yeah yeah other also maybe remember one other MVP of this Steve Traxel for actually having the ball say you know I was pissed off when all my teams are going to go hug Mark McGuire after he hit the home run off of me the human rain delay. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he would. Yeah, no, I actually did. Watching that replay, I even was like, what the hell? I don't think that I would. <laughs> like, I'm not, you know, like, I don't think that's what I would have done. Yeah. Let's, so let's all agree. I think we're giving this all Ds and Fs. I think that's all the consensus grades here. Oh, yeah. You're, it's yeah, definitely yeah. on the F side. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm going F. Yeah, I'm, I'm, going, I'm not going to give it anything higher than that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think this might this is in the running for the worst story for 30 of all time. Oh, quite possibly. I, I can't man, I honestly I have to do it. I de- can think of one. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I can't think of any other one that I haven't enjoyed. This is the only one that comes to my mind that I haven't liked at all. Yeah. It's terrible. I, I think the closest one for me is the one of the competitive eaters. That was also pretty bad. Oh well, I don't remember. I don't have. I have zero recollection of that. So that's probably probably not good company to be in. Yeah, it was on last summer. It was about Joey Chestnut and Kobayashi. Oh yeah, yeah. I did not watch it. Completely avoided it. I do know what it is though. Yeah, <laughs> that was really bad. This is right down there with that one. <laughs> yeah, that's some good company. You know, here's this iconic home run race and race and Joey Chestnut. Yep. McGuire, Sosa, Chestnut, the immortal trio of uh, 30 for 30 subjects. Yeah, it was really, really riveting. Yeah, if you want to watch a good baseball documentary, go watch, like, Ken Burns' baseball. Go watch the Griffey one on Sunday. Watch Tom Seaver. Watch, don't watch this. I am very excited about Griffey, by the way. That one I am excited for. LeBron, the show, like, LeBron's in it. I mean, oh, God. Yeah, at least we'll hear from people who are relevant to Ken Griffey in this one. Unlike unlike this one, where we forgot half the people who actually had a part of the story. <laughs> and Ken Griffey himself. Yes. So. <laughs> that, yep that that should be much better. I want to thank. I do want to wrap this up here. I want to thank you guys for coming on. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I'll give you guys a chance to plug your social medias. And you can go first. Yeah, uh, Instagram it's at Sorbellini Photos, and then Twitter is at Ant uh, underscore Sorbellini. And Will, how about you? On Twitter at Will Shatter H one. 
just not doing much right now. But yeah, give me a fall. <laughs> yeah, we are. We're waiting for that baseball to come back. That's what we're sitting here waiting to do. Sounds oh, close, yeah. but let's, yeah, <laughs> we'll sit here and wait. Yeah, we will. And assuming this gets done, and hopefully by the end of this, by the end of the podcast, in this point in time, we'll have an answer on this. But assuming we actually do get this thing done, we get baseball. You guys, I'm sure, will be popping up throughout the next couple of weeks as we start getting ready for the season. Yeah, hopefully the Mets are back from pissing me off and breaking my heart. You know, that's when reality really, really comes back a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah, when we're sitting here talking about how the Met bullpen blew a two nothing lead for Jacob DeGrom in the eighth inning again, that's when we're feeling good about baseball. <laughs> <laughs> that's life. Yeah, that's when I know I'm back. Yeah, that's how we know we're back. We're talking about Jacob the Ground possibly going the Cy Young, going three and two with a one five ERA. Uh, yeah, hey, no, I need it in my life. I complain about it when it happens. I'm lost without it. Indeed, we will. Thanks. I want to thank you guys again. That was a lot of fun. Up next, we're gonna wrap this show up. We will touch as you got, touch base with our legal correspondent Phil Freyetta. Break down the logistics of all this. What does this mean? Where are we? Where are we going? All that's coming up right after this. All right. We are back here on the podcast talking with our legal correspondent, Phil Freyetta. Phil, welcome. How are you? Hey, Mike. Uh, nice to be back. I'm well. How are you? Doing pretty good. And just to set the stage for the listeners, this has sort of been a timeline podcast. I talked to Anthony McCarron June 12th. Last week, I talked to the baseball beat on the 17th. We broke down long gone summer, and we had the negotiations at that point where the players had been offered a 60-game prorated figure. They countered with 70 games. We thought they'd be in the middle. ends up not happening. The league will not budge off 60. The end, the players today on Monday, the 22nd, voted no to this offer. Phil, are you surprised at all we did not get a deal? Yes, uh, I, I am surprised. Uh, I, I think I told you on this podcast, I guess about a month or so now, that I, I thought there would eventually be a deal. So so I am surprised. But that said, the way that the negotiations played out, it's not surprising how they ended. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, we'll get into more detail about that. But uh, at the outset, I'll just say that the owners, they really dragged their feet here. Uh, I think intentionally, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah, so to basically reset here, we we basically having conversations off the air. Cause we thought we were going to do this two weeks ago. This has been taking forever then to sort out. Looks like we're heading toward a resolution now of a, a mandated 60-game season. But before we get to that, do you want to take a minute here and let's talk about this issue from the March 26th agreement that's basically led to all this kerfuffle, all this nonsense, why we've been sitting here arguing for two months. Yeah, sure. So, look, the issue is real simple. They, they have a disagreement over what they agreed to. Uh, the, the union thinks they agreed to full prorated salaries. The league says they did so only if there were going to be fans in attendance. They, uh, the owners have claimed publicly now that playing baseball games without fans is they, they're actually going to lose money. So they said they'd be better off just not playing at all. And uh, the union doesn't believe it. And and that's really where we are. Uh, and that's why we had this dispute all along. And it took until, I guess it was not even a week ago now, just a few days ago, for the league to finally offer a full prorated package. But at that point, it was too little too late. Yeah, to make a point about that, I know that this idea first surfaced, I think, back in May when Jeff, I think it was actually Jeff Wilbon, believe it or not, said somewhere in an interview, he said, 
well, we're going to have to discuss the salaries if there's no fans in the stands. I might, if I'm reading this correct, I thought it was just that the owners thought they agreed to discuss like a salary change. The player said, no, this is locked. I think that's sort of my read on what the issue was. Right. Because of the no fan issue. Uh, I think if there were fans in the stands, everybody would say, yeah, we agree prorated salary. But without fans in the stands, there's a disagreement about what they agreed to. Now, if you read between the lines there, this is all all silly. And and it kind of seems like it was a setup from the beginning because I I don't understand how on March 26th, anybody thought that we're going to be fans in the stands for baseball this summer. Uh, All you had to do was listen to Dr. Fauci and the other public health experts, and they were telling you it wasn't going to happen. So to the extent that the union and the league, who both have highly paid consultants on the medical field working for them, really thought that they were going to have fans in the stands, it sounds like uh, somebody was kidding themselves. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I I don't know who you put more of the blame of this on, but I will say the owners looked really, really bad throughout this. I mean, you had Bill DeWitt coming on saying that baseball is not very profitable. You had Ted Rickett saying that the loss is really biblical. You had the Arizona owner making ridiculous comments. I mean, I, I think personally, I put more of this on the owners than do on the players. So if you asked me a week ago or even five days ago, I would have told you, 100 to zero on the owners. Uh, The last five days, I think Rob Manfred has saved face a little bit by making a, albeit late, somewhat reasonable proposal. So I'm going to go with like 90-10 at this point. Uh, The bottom line is is real simple. The owners throughout this negotiation process, and I'm not going to recap all the offers, but they made various offers but the offers were all the same. They were just different percentages of a pot of money that ended up at the same total amount of money. So I would analogize it to, if I told you, I'll give you $10. No. Okay, I'll give you two fives. No. Okay, I'll give you 10 singles. It, that, that's all they were doing. They were prolonging the process by making the same offer over and over again, but couching it in different terms to make it... A, seem appealing at first glance to the average fan things like 75% of your salary. Well, that sounds great, but wait a minute, 75% of my prorated salary. So if I do the math works out to, they're paying me about a third of my salary. And, uh, and that's what they did all along. They made the same offer over and over and over again. And so finally in the last five days or so, uh, I don't know if Rob Manford got to the owners, but they finally came forward and put something on the table that, that was reasonable. And uh, that's, that's why I'm going to give the 10 to the players because now the players uh, are in a position where they turned down what was a somewhat reasonable position, especially given where we are in the calendar and with the virus. Yeah, I would agree with all of that. I feel like the players lost some ground. It's like I think last, if we had this conversation, we would be 100% on the players' side. Now they take some ownership in this and – Obviously, right now, we don't have a deal. We're getting a mandated season. So what, as we believe right now, is nothing has been official as of recording time. That could change. But the latest we've heard is 60 games mandated by Rob Manfred. And what are some of the immediate consequences of not getting a deal done? Well, the first immediate consequence is that, like you said, we don't know what Rob Manfred is going to do. Rob Manfred has the power to implement a season, but the owners have the power to override him. 
And all it takes is eight owners to say no season and we're not going to have a season. So I don't think that's going to happen. But that that's the first immediate consequence is what, what are the owners going to do? Are they going to defer to Manfred? Are they going to override him? I think they would be wise to just defer to him and put in the 60-game season. And the reason why I say that is the next step, which is that the players have a right to file a grievance, and they will do so on the first day they're allowed to. And the grievance will basically argue that the owners had an obligation to negotiate in good faith for a season, and they didn't do so because for the reasons I just explained. They made the same offer over and over and over again with the intent of winding down the clock to the point where there just wasn't enough calendar days left to play more baseball games. So that that's going to be the union's position in the grievance. The league will take the opposite position, obviously. Uh, and that, that's your immediate aftermath. Then you also get the issue of, well, who shows up? Uh, you know, yes, the players, Manfred can mandate a season, but people go on strike. Uh, strikes are not uncommon in baseball, as the listeners to this podcast probably know that we had one in 94. So do I think the whole league's going to go on strike? No. But do I think a few players, maybe some of the higher paid guys who have families or other health risks might say it's not worth it? Yeah, it's possible. So I think those are your immediate your immediate after uh, aftermath implications. Plus the rule changes. Uh, the, the league proposal came with universal designated hitter, expanded playoffs. So you're not going to get any of that now. You're going to get regular rules just like they were last year. Uh, and we'll see how many games. I, I, I hope 60. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go so far on the DH. But that might be could be man getting into safety because you could say these guys saying, "Hey, the pitchers are not warmed up enough yet. Let's not risk them running the bases." That I could still see happening in this health and safety section for twenty only. But all this stuff goes away. And if you had the handicap right now on the grievance, like who do you think would have the edge on this? The owners or the players? I I think the owners still have the edge, just because they came in now with this reasonable offer at the 11th hour but on the flip side the players will argue that you know this offer is really no different economically than it offered us all along they just waited until the 11th hour so i i think it's kind of a coin flip on the grievance i'd lean a little bit towards the owners but the other benefit of the grievance is that the union wants to get into the grievance procedure because part of that procedure is what in the legal world is known as discovery and that's, that's the opportunity to get information from the other side. So in the union's sake, they want to look at the books. They want to see just how unprofitable Major League Baseball really is. Because, you know, th- these are private teams and they're private organizations. So their revenue is not public information. It's not like, you know, PepsiCo. If you wanted to go look up how much money PepsiCo made last year, you could do so because it's a public company. Not true of the New York Yankees. So uh, I, I think that the union would like to open up the books and see well how, how unprofitable are the Chicago Cubs and uh, St. Louis Cardinals because you tell me they're unprofitable. Let, let's see it for real. And, uh, and that'll give them a much better negotiating position come 2022 when the CBA expires. Yeah, I would agree with that logic as well. I feel like the players clearly put more value on getting a chance to look at the owner's books because – the only publicly known profit information we had is from the Atlanta Braves, run by Liberty Media, who have to disclose their revenues as a publicly traded company. And 
they've made like forty million dollars. Like they made like something like the math. I forgot the exact numbers. They would have made roughly a quarter of the league's profit if the owners really believed. And I think that's obviously enough proof of the players. But like I think for the short term, the owners, the players, not take this deal, things to come back to haunt them in the short term financially because obviously you're gonna have teams making less money. The season might not even finish because of the coronavirus. Like, how immediately do you think the loss of will be extracted on the players over the winter? So, if you're a free agent this winter, uh, you're you're not going to get paid. That that would be my prediction, and and I think that goes from top to bottom. Even guys like Mookie Betts, I think, are going to have a hard time getting contract. Not not a contract, but a contract that he a player of his caliber deserves. Uh, you know, teams they are going to lose money this year. That that's a given. And they're going to use this as a, I guess, kind of a crutch uh, in in the free agent process. And and that is something that we should really talk about, uh, if you don't mind me sure. going on a little bit of a side tangent here. Part, part of the reason that we even got to this point is we got to go back five, six years and think about what's gone on between the union and the league in the past five years. And what's gone on is that the league has more and more and more beat down the players so first it started with service time manipulation we have a situation like a guy like chris bryant is in the major leagues or pete alonzo is not getting a september call out and the reason teams are doing that is to keep the guy under team control for longer it has nothing to do with his ability to play baseball then you go to teams that tanked so you have a team like the houston astros didn't even try they did not try to win for multiple seasons on purpose and they're not the only ones who have tanked. There are other teams in baseball who are tanking. Then you've got teams like the Miami Marlins and the Tampa Bay Rays who, different situations, the Rays compete and the Marlins don't, but same idea, they don't spend any money. So you have the Marlins trade away their best player to the Yankees for basically nothing, just to get rid of his money. The Rays, you got a team like that, and the A's, they're perennial playoff contenders, but they don't go out and spend any money in free agency. And then what really was the icing on the cake was when it came out that the players, or sorry, the owners, were giving away some sort of a championship belt to celebrate who was the cheapest guy in free agency. And and that just makes the players go off the walls because for years, the owners have been not making contract offers for guys who seem like they're worth contracts. And they tell us, oh, no, 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 trust our analytics department has determined that this guy's not really that good. But that's a load of baloney. Uh, analytics, when, you know, if, if we ever want to talk about that, I'm a big analytics guy. I, I think they're very, very good for the game. I support them. But they're also not secret. All you have to do is go on fan graphs or baseball reference, and you can look at the analytics. You can look at the stats and what the teams say about these players doesn't check out. So what you really had was a concerted effort by the league to drive down salaries. And when that happens, the union's going to, going to get angry. So you have two people in a very, very hostile relationship trying to negotiate some sort of a crisis scenario like we're in now. That's that's never going to work. Yes, I would agree with that. I mean, we saw that the last couple of winters when we had the free agent market, sort of the middle class really sort of dry up. I mean, the guys are sitting on the market like your Michael Stock is the world sitting out there for a long time waiting for contracts. But I do feel like, right. yeah, I do also do feel like right now, like 
They can point to the virus. They can point to whatever you want. But in my opinion, and I, I want to know if you agree with this, this was a work stoppage. This was entire. This was not about the virus. It's not about, oh, we're waiting for it to be safe. This was all about, we don't want to pay the players this amount of money. Players like, we want this amount of money. I think this was, this was just a work stoppage in disguise. Absolutely, 100%. Major League Baseball recognized it back in March that there was a likelihood that they were not going to be able to put fans in the seats. And that scared the crap out of the owners. We said, well, if I can't put fans in the seats, I can't make money. We got to do something about this. So, and then it's a work stoppage. That's exactly what it is. There is no reason other than the virus, which has spiked in the past couple of days. And I know we're going to get to that. But there was no reason two weeks ago why you couldn't have penciled in July 4 as opening day. The, the only reason they did that was work stoppage. And it, go, it all goes back to the same thing I was just talking about. The owners have made a concerted effort over the past few years to save money at the expense of the players, despite the fact that revenues go up and up and up and up every single year. I mean, I, I don't want to rant, but you've got a, a league now in Major League Baseball where do you think it's fair to say 20 teams don't even try? They have no chance when they break camp to, to win the World Series. I think it's closer. How many, I'd say closer to 15. 15, fine. You call it 15, then you got five other teams who are middling. You had a situation last, last offseason, Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole is probably the best pitcher in baseball. You can, him or DeGrom, I'd say it's a coin flip. But he's certainly the best free agent pitcher to hit the open market since, like, Greg Maddox. How many teams even tried to sign the guy? Two, three, four? That, that, that's insane. That doesn't happen in other sports. LeBron James is a free agent. Every team in the NBA wants to meet with him. Tom Brady signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But do you think the Tampa Bay Rays were going to be signing Garrett Cole? Nope. No. So it's, it's a tremendous problem. So it's either... It's either these guys are being cheap and they're not spending money, or, which I think, or there needs to be more revenue sharing. But you can't have a situation where only a handful of teams are competing for the best free agent and then a, maybe, let's give it half. I'll give you half. Maybe half the teams in the league are trying to actually win. You cannot have that situation year after year after year. It, it, it drives down the competitiveness and the integrity of the game. It, it does. I, I mean, I have a great quote from on Twitter from Trevor Bauer, who has a very controversial figure on Twitter. We actually made a great point about the situation right now. And he says on Twitter, is a quote, there's going to be a fight. The time for that fight is after the 21 season when a new CBA is negotiated. Five years of potential change. We're doing irreparable damage to our industry right now over rules that last. And this is all caps at most 16 months. WTF kind of senses that make and he, he concludes it with three face palm emojis. Yeah, uh, I, I think Trevor Bauer's right. And look, Trevor Bauer's a controversial guy, but he's also a very intelligent guy. And I think he's correct about that. Uh, Major League Baseball in 2022, if there's a season, and I, I think we're going to get to that in a little bit, but if they can even work out a CBA, it's, it's got to look much, much, much different than it has looked the past five to ten years because it's no longer at the point where the owners can hide behind analytics as the reason that they're not spending money. Because it's a load of baloney and any, we know it. We know it now. Yeah, we do know that now. And I just feel like this whole thing, the fact that we had players vote 33 to five against the proposal of player reps, 
against the proposals that would have given them more money this year. The owners even conceded, you know, if we don't finish this out, we're not going to take our expanded playoffs for next year. The fact that they said no and decided that going for the grievance is the more appealing route, I think it just says to me, we are guaranteed to have a some sort of work strike, where it's a lockout or a strike in 2021 after the, ser- after the uh, season's over. Yeah, and, and I agree with that. And don't be surprised if we have a problem during the 2021 season itself. So there's a, there's a, a lurking issue that I see and it has to do a little bit with politics. So I know this isn't a political uh, podcast, but I'm just going to go in there just a little bit. Sure. When there's a CBA, the owners cannot legally lock out the players unless there is a national emergency declared. That's how we, why we haven't had baseball thus far. There was a national emergency declared by the Trump administration in March, and MLB took advantage of that to lock out, to close down the season. We have an election this year. The political parties are very clear about who thinks the virus is a big deal and who doesn't. If Joe Biden wins that presidential election, could I see a state of emergency being declared in 2021 over coronavirus? Absolutely. And do I think the MLB owners might salivate at the opportunity to lock out the players again? Yeah, I do. So don't be uh, – it's a a long shot now. I'm I'm not saying it's not, but – I could see that happening, and I could certainly see a strike after the 2021 season. Yeah, I think if you're the league, I think the thing you're the most worried about is, like, the one of the players really could whack the owners the most is, like, if you get to 2021, you play out the regular season, what if they go on strike right before the playoffs? Yeah, well, that's basically what they did in the uh, 94. 94 season. Yeah. And it killed her. It killed the sport. The, the, the Major League Baseball is lucky that they were able to rebound and – Frankly, maybe they're not so lucky. Bud Selig turned his eye to steroids. That's really what happened. Uh, and, and that got the sport to rebound. But, yeah, uh, could I see that? Absolutely. Uh, I could see the players play out the entire season, walk off the field in the last game of the year, and say, we're done. Yeah, not going to be a champion this year. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think if that happens again, where you basically had this mess in the middle of the pandemic, and right now the earliest they get back on the field is July 29th. And we can talk about that date in a minute, about the issues you might have getting there. You might have two months of baseball this year at best with the playoffs. Next year, you have a short, potentially a lockout strike situation. They could really just drag the game into the mud. Is that going to be a, a home run chase or a Cal Ripken breaking a streak to get people interested again? It's sad. Trevor Power is right about that because base, baseball fans know there is so much young talent in baseball right now an unbelievable amount of young talent all around the league, whether it's Acuna down in Atlanta or, you know, you have guys like Aaron Judge and Pete Alonzo, the local guys, Mike Trout. There is talent in Major League Baseball that is at a level that's really unprecedented, but it's it's the union and the labor issues that they have going on are just, it's going to kill the sport. And again, I put this all back on the owners who decided a few years ago that they were going to be cheap and they were going to blame analytics. And shockingly to me, they managed to convince the average Joe baseball fan that they were right. The average Joe baseball fan doesn't want his team to spend money in free agency. He doesn't, he doesn't want his team to go out and sign star players. And to me, that is just total bananas. I, I do not understand it. Uh, the owners have managed to convince these guys that the price of a hot dog is going to come down to Garrett Cole's salary. And it's, it's clearly not true. 
it's uh it's it's a shame that that's happened in in baseball because the revenues go up and up and up there is interest in the game i know there's this idea out there that younger generations don't like baseball but and, and it plays out a little bit but the the tv ratings are still very very good in local markets people watch baseball yes they do and i will also say about this point that like the thing that bothered me the most if I'm baseball fan baseball right now is like you had an opportunity here to have a basically a full month to control the sports landscape outside of golf in this country. And they just threw that away. And between that, between Manfred trying to contract the minor leagues to shortening the draft to five rounds, you're dra- you're driving away young talent from this game, and that's not good. I completely agree. Let me, I mean, we're, it's a Monday night, right? Right now. What's on TV? Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. There's nothing to watch. And you could have, all right, maybe granted, not right now, but in a week or two, you could have had major league baseball on. That's what you could have been watching, but they blew it because the owners, they do not care to them. It's all about the bottom line. Rob Manfred is their guy because to him, it's all about the bottom line. I've said this to you. I think Manfred would play baseball with a tennis ball if he thought that it was going to generate more ratings. The guy does not seem to care about anything but the bottom line, and that is all that this is about. Actually, hold on here one second. Before we go on, we do have some breaking news. According to multiple Twitter reports, and quoting one from Bob Nightingale, MLB has decided to play a 60-game season if the union agrees to have their players report by July 1st and they agree on the safety and health protocols and operating manual. MLB wants a decision by 5 p.m. on Tuesday. That's from Bob Nightingale. Okay. Uh, well, you know what? Then I'll stick with the 90-10 because that's the first smart thing that MLB has done in this entire process. Uh, a 60-game season has some aura of legitimacy to it, and now if you're the owners, you can say, hey, we offered these guys 60 games. They would have made more money if they took our deal, but they turned it down to go file some lawsuit instead. So that that would be my message, that these guys turned down a deal because they wanted to have a lawsuit. So how is that bad faith negotiating? So finally, MLB has done something. Uh, look, uh, I know that later in the segment we're going to talk about whether or not this season actually happened, but I think this is a smart move for MLB. Yeah, I think in terms of the MLB situation, I think this is a formality. The players will figure out the health and safety. They will report on July 1st. Not all of them, but health is a big issue right now, especially because of the coronavirus situation. Because as we've seen in this country the past few days, despite what the president will try to tell you about how they have the virus on the run and that they need to slow the testing down, the virus is raging in states like Florida, Arizona, California, who, by the way, happen to play host and Texas play host to 10 baseball teams and all 30 of the week spring training sites. We had an outbreak at the Philly camp last week and you were ahead of the curve on the Florida situation a couple of weeks ago. And we talked during the NBA podcast. So let me go to a clip you had about the great governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis. Yeah. I, th- I think the state's opening too fast. And I think that it's uh, flocking going to, attract large crowds frankly uh, i think people are going to go to disney world people are going to go to restaurants down there and and you know putting now i'm bringing the nba in and i'm bringing soccer players in a lot of people in a small area that, that could be could be a problem yeah i think you nailed that one 
Well, look, again, it's not a political podcast, so I don't want to get too political, but uh, the numbers speak for themselves. Governor DeSantis is, is really just doing an absolutely terrible job with this virus. He is he's killing his state. He's killing off his populace. Uh, and it's, it's a big problem because Major League Baseball, they, they can't tell Governor DeSantis what to do or Governor Abbott down in Texas. And these guys have this idea that this virus is a hoax or it's not a big deal and we need to open up, open up, open up. I, I think I think it's obvious why they're doing that. They're, they're trying to get President Trump reelected. Uh, but what, what, it's a big problem because Major League Baseball, like you said, you put players into into danger. Look at what's happened in the Phillies camp, the Yankees camp. They, they, they've shut down. The Yankees are going to do spring training in New York. If I told you that a month ago, you would have said I was crazy that they'd rather be in New York than Florida, but here we are. Yeah, all 30 teams are doing it at their home sites, not going back to spring training. And the rise in the cases in the four states, a lot of these states also like do not believe in the wearing the mask, which I think is absolutely absurd because we've seen here in New York State, Governor Cuomo mandated a mask-wearing decree in public to help promote prevent the spread of the virus. And the theory is obviously if you're wearing a mask and I'm wearing a mask and we run into each other, we're not going to – we're going to reduce the spread of airborne particles that spread the virus. And New York's numbers, following the science, have gone down consistently, whereas in states like Florida, Arizona, Texas, where and got California until recently Governor Newsom made the call to mandate mask wearing in public. These states sort of see, approaches, and I hate to get political here, is uh, my rights. You can't tell me I can wear a mask. It's against the rules. It's, against, it's in the Constitution, where I believe, and the Constitution people don't want to hear this, Right in the beginning of the Constitution says these rights can be denied if they infringe upon public safety. The old you can't yell fire in movie theater defense. I look. Uh, I'm not going to get into a constitutional law issue, but <laughs> uh, here's a simple analogy: the government can tell you you got to wear a shirt in the park. You go to the playground, you got to wear a shirt. You go to the playground, you got to wear a mask. It's it's no different. This is all nonsense. It's nonsense that is designed to get President Trump reelected, with the exception of Newsom. I don't really don't know what Governor Newsom's doing because he was killing it on this virus, and then all of a sudden his wheels fell off the track. Uh, but he seems to be getting back on track. But Abbott, DeSantis, all it is is getting President Trump reelected. They they know that to the extent that they can convince people that this virus isn't a big deal, it helps the president's chances to get reelected, and that's what's going on. But from baseball's perspective, it's a big, big problem because you cannot – I just don't think those places are going to be safe to conduct baseball games uh, at the current rate. Yeah, so basically, like, the problem is like, you have 28 states, 28 places where you're playing baseball this year. We'll take Toronto out for a minute because Toronto I have a separate question about because I obviously have the border rules. Of the 28 U.S. sites, 14 of them have coronavirus cases numbers going up. And we've seen in New York, it takes a long time to get them back down. That's a problem when you're trying to travel and play baseball. Right. Uh, completely agree. And I think that that has some influence on what happened the past couple of days. And what I mean by that is I think Rob Manfred knows that it's, he's not getting 60 games in. So let me say 60 games. If it turns out to be 30 or 40, I could say, hey, we gave it our best shot. If, you know, public health didn't cooperate. And I think the union knows that, which is why to them it's, well, is expanded playoffs and really mean more money to us if there's not going to be any playoffs. So I, I, I think the outlook is, uh, is bleak 
for actually playing a season. And you can blame Governor DeSantis as the primary cause of that because of what he did to Florida. I think there's four people I think you can blame. I think it's Governor DeSantis, Governor Ducey out in Arizona, Governor Abbott in Texas, and the, the president himself who has said multiple times that he, just, at this point, just has no interest in actually trying to contain the virus and worry about winning re-election. Yep, uh, I completely agree. And th- those are the people, you could even throw Newsom in there a little bit, but those those are the people you can really blame if you don't get a full 60-game baseball season this year. Yeah, so we'll talk about some other things in relation to the coronavirus itself. Dr. Fauci recently said that, this his mind, he's like, if I was baseball, I would wrap my entire season by the end of September because I'm worried about the second wave. And obviously, I think we are agreeing with Dr. Fauci here because Dr. Fauci is not has been pretty accurate in all of his predictions so far because he actually follows science, unlike people who think that the virus is somehow Republican or Democrat. But I, I just think, like, in terms of getting the postseason, and again, it's something that, like, they could have been proactive with. They also blew this. I do not see any way in the world that, and I'm again, I'm not a public health expert. I'm, I'm a lawyer. I'm just listening to what the experts say. But based on what they say, I don't see any way in the world that you're going to play playoff baseball games in October unless you do some sort of a bubble concept like the NBA is talking about for the playoffs. Maybe you could do that. You and I talked off the air about potential sites for that. You threw around New York. Uh, again, shocking, but because New York actually listened to the CDC, New York might actually be in position to do that. Uh, I throw around a place like Omaha, Nebraska, where they play the College World Series. So you have some facilities there, and it's a very sparse population, not a lot of people. Maybe you can isolate well in a place like Omaha, Nebraska. But I, without a bubble concept, I just think it's unlikely that you're going to get a entire playoffs in in the month of October. Yeah, I think the way you have to look at it if you're baseball, I think you have to talk to the players right now as you're getting held in safety and say, hey, if we want to play the playoffs, if we want to play the World Series, like we can't guarantee that we'll be able to travel freely across the country by then because we need to have a plan in place where we can say, okay, everybody come to City X. We'll put you up. We'll get we'll play the playoffs out. And you need to have a place with multiple stadiums with the ability to broadcast games on television. Omaha works well in that sense because that's the College World Series and they have a couple of facilities set up out there. But I think New York, I think, works very well if you have the virus down because Yankee Stadium, City Field, you could use the Cyclones place, you could use the Yankees Park in Staten Island if you need to. You could have up the four different ballparks going there. So I think they, I think, would be the leader in the clubhouse if Governor Cuomo wants to accept this. Yeah, you, you, look, you could do that, uh, but I agree with you that Rob Manfred right now should be on the phone with Tony Clark and he should be saying, listen, Tony, uh, I, I understand you guys are going to file a grievance. That's fine. We'll deal with that in the courtroom. But right now, you and I got to talk about a contingency plan for the postseason because that is a part of a health and safety protocol. Because, you know, both of us want have an interest in completing a postseason. And we need to make sure that we have some sort of agreed upon solution, not an agreement to agree down the road, an agreed upon plan B, here's what happens, no, no ifs, ands, or buts if we need to cancel this season based or postseason based on the coronavirus. Here's what we're going to go to, plan B. And, and I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a bubble. Maybe it's some sort of a modified bubble. Maybe it's a delay. But, but there's got to be something in writing and in stone. This is what we're going to do. Because you can, if you're Major League Baseball, you cannot risk a situation where you got to call this thing on September 1st after you've played 30 games and you have no champion. 
yeah, that would be an absolute utter disaster. And there are a couple other issues they still have to work out. And I'm following Twitter updates right now as we're talking. The universal DH that I speculated earlier in the, in the segment is part of health and safety protocol for 2020, but will not be in 2021. So we are getting DH in the National League this season. Okay. Uh, well, I'm glad about that. Uh, obvi- look, obviously we can get anything that the two sides want to agree to in that health and safety protocol. So but we'll see what they agree to. Uh, the, I'm, I'm, I'm a supporter of the DH. I'm an American League fan. Uh, you know, we could debate the DH all day, but I, I think I think most people would agree that given this particular circumstance, it makes sense for at least this season. Yeah, I would agree with that. And they brought up Toronto earlier. I want to touch on back on Toronto real quick because obviously the Blue Jays play in Canada. Right now there's a still an international travel restriction in the U.S. and Canada. The border is closed. And right now anybody who enters that country has to quarantine for 14 days or exit, which is not ideal when you have a baseball team playing out of Canada. Do you think this is something where we have to drop the Blue Jays in the U.S. somewhere to play their season, or do you think we have to work out something with the government to, like, uh, make an exception to sort the rules say, okay, they can go here and play if they quarantine and they don't leave their hotel or something like that. Yeah, look, I think the first thing you do is you try and make an, you try and talk to the Canadian government and make some sort of an exception. But I would not let that process play out. If, if they don't say yes right away, I'd say, okay, the Toronto Blue Jays, your AAA affiliates up in Buffalo, that's where you're going to play. You're going to play out of Buffalo. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's right over the border. Not too far from your home, but uh, that's that's where you're gonna have to play. Uh, and and because yeah, I, I look, uh, it's no secret that the Trump administration doesn't exactly have good diplomatic relationships with Trudeau up there in Canada. So I'm not sure how that's that's gonna play out. And I don't really see what's in it for Canada to have U.S. baseball players coming in and out. It's not like anyone's going to the games anyway. So if you're if you're a Toronto Blue Jay fan in Canada, why can't you watch the game in Buffalo versus Toronto? So we're going to be sitting on your couch anyway. Yeah, so that's Toronto taking care. Number two, which nothing has not come up yet, but I think I think it would have to make sense this short season. I don't think you have any sort of trade deadline because how is it fair for a player to be asked to be moved across the country potentially in the middle of a pandemic? No, you, you got to say there's no trade. Yeah, there's no trade this year. Uh, sorry to some team who picked up a veteran hoping to swap him at the deadline uh, for a prospect. Not going to happen. Yeah, I think the most you'll see is if people, if you have waivers, you can obviously like get rid of somebody. But I don't know how like, moved you, you'll see because obviously you'll need to have expanded rosters to account for the fact people are going to get this virus. Yeah, and the union is, is going to have to fight for some sort of right to protect their players. You, you cannot ask somebody to move across the country in the middle of a pandemic. That, that is not fair. Yeah, I think so. the free agents are different. Because like, if you're sitting there, if someone like Yasiel Puig doesn't have a job, and you can say, okay, I'm going to sign with the Giants, like that's one thing. But like, it's not fair if somebody's on a team is committed to one spot. Okay, you're going to trade from Oakland to the Mets. Now you got to go to New York and find a home. Yeah, no, you can't do that. Yeah, that's- so I, I, and I think, I think Manfred knows that. I, I think they'll be able to work something out on that front. But again, we have the same hostile parties negotiating and, and that's never good that is never good number two we, we, something you alluded to earlier the idea of players essentially sitting out because obviously right now they're getting prorated pay and assuming the health and safety thing goes goes through fine they want players at camp by july 1st so I, we think obviously the young guys you think it'd be a safe bet to show up because they need to get paid they don't have a lot of money on the line but what do you think about these likelihood we get some of these bigger stars who either have like a pregnant spouse 
who have live with a high risk individual, some or have high risk concern themselves. How many of them do you think might say, okay, you know what? Not worth my time. I'm not gonna play this season. Not okay, call me in call me in February when I go back to Florida or Arizona where I'm playing spring training. So I put this into three groups of players. Group A is like you said, the younger guys that haven't hit free agency yet. They need their service time. I expect them to show up. Group B is a guy like Carlos Carrasco, who is a high risk individual himself. He's got cancer. I expect them not those players not to show up, and I think everybody will say totally understood. Group C is the group of players you're talking about. Group C are guys who have gotten their big payday and have a high risk spouse or baby coming or that type of situation. And I do not. I, it'll be very interesting to see what those guys choose to do. Now, the one bit of pressure that they're going to have is that. Baseball is a sport. Sports have a, a certain culture to them in the locker room. And, you know, you don't want to be the guy who bails on your teammates because you're, you know, you don't want to be the guy who bails on your teammates because your your wife is pregnant or something like that. that. That could potentially get, maybe it's not right. Maybe it's not politically correct, but that's the world we live in. I could see a guy getting ragged on for that. But could I see a player even to the caliber of Mike Trout saying, yeah, I'm, I'm just not going to play. It's not worth it. Yeah, I think it's possible. Uh, I mean, the two most high-profile guys who have babies coming are Trout and Garrett Cole. Uh, Garrett Cole is my understanding that his wife's due any day now, so he might be in the clear. I don't know when Mike Trout's wife's due, but could I see a situation like that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that would be a disaster, obviously, for baseball and the union, really. They, I think the union wants their guys to show up. But uh, sure, there could be some players who say that it's not worth it for me to only get paid for 60 games of my salary. I make so much money anyway, and I don't want to get my wife or my newborn baby sick. You should be able to understand that. But like I said, in, uh, in the world we live in, I think there'll be a lot of people who, who are not so understanding of that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you have people like Mike Trout's obviously the top of that list. Garrett Cole, Zach Wheeler. You have the people who've made a ton of money already. Even like Sean Doolittle, not make a ton of money, but his wife is like a high-risk uh, person for coronavirus. So Sean Doolittle, guys, he's saying, not like, I could get it at the park, be asymptomatic, give it to my wife, and she something really big happened to her, so why am I going? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and look, uh, these aren't issues that everyday Americans aren't dealing with. Uh, you know, it's everyday Americans who live with high-risk people and they're talking to their employers about, hey, uh, you know, can I, I got to keep working from home. Uh, my wife, and it's it, th- those who can work from home, those who can't work from home, they're, they're having to risk it. So uh, it's, a, it's a tough situation, but I think that if anybody is going to sit out, it's going to be those players. It's not going to be the young guys, and it's, uh, it's not going to be the, the I, I don't even think it'll be some of the, more star players who really don't have any any sort of reason like that. Like I expect those guys to show up. It's a highly paid player who has a high risk individual situation who I could see sitting out. Yeah, I'm sure we'll find out more in the coming days about if anybody wants to skip out. But before let's wrap this up real quick. Like before, actually, one thing before I get before we do the baseball wrap up. Like on the NBA topic. How concerned are you about their bubble situation right now, considering the spike in Florida? Highly concerned. 
I, I am highly concerned about anybody going into the state of Florida right now because of Governor DeSantis. And I know it's not a political podcast. I'm sorry to rail on this guy. I don't want people to say, oh, your podcast is anti-Republican or anything like that. This isn't even about politics. The numbers speak for themselves. Florida is in trouble, and the governor just continues to do nothing and nothing about it. Earlier today, he issued some ridiculous rule that they're not even going to report how many ICU beds are taken. They're only going to report the ones that are taken and the person's in intensive care, which doesn't make any sense to me because ICU is short for intensive care unit. But what I mean, the, the guy is intentionally distorting data. He's uh, So I, I'd be very, very afraid of entering his state and during during uh, this pandemic. Yeah, and right now, no, the only team that's down in Florida now is the Raptors, and they might be down in Florida for up to 114 days to make the NBA Finals. It seems like an awful long time to be sitting there. Oh, yeah. Uh, this, I mean, Disney World's ready to open in what? A couple weeks? July 11th. Yeah, so there you go. Uh, can't imagine that's going to be a safe place once it opens up, and uh, Ron DeSantis is waiting for the people with open arms. Yes, he is, and... Let's let's put a percentage on the baseball here. Give me two percentages here. Your percentage, and this is obviously an educated guess because you're not a you said before you're, you said you're an attorney. You're not a medical expert. You're not an epidemiologist, and you don't follow that stuff. But just based on the numbers here, what's our percentage? We get the season started on time, and what's our percentage? We actually finish the season. What's your educated guess? Start on time, or just start. I'll give you a fifty. Let's say 50, start fifty. 50-50, finish it, 25%. Yeah, uh, I'm pessimistic. I, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, and the, the reason why is I, I just think that there are too many states and political leaders in this country who they, they don't care about the numbers, they don't care about the science, they've made up their minds on the politics, and it's going to continue to leave places uh, unsafe to play baseball. And a little teaser for something that I'm sure we're going to do in the future I think if I were the NFL, I'd start paying close attention to this. Yeah, the NFL has had the benefit of time, but now that time is starting to run out on them because they got to start, gotta start thinking about training camps, and we've seen the NFL PA over the weekend basically put out a thing to these guys saying, hey, stop your group workouts. Like, wait till you get to camp because we don't want you guys contracting the virus right you're out trying to get a, a few extra, like, routes run in the offseason. I would be, if I were the NFL I'd be talking to the PA right now and trying to figure out some sort of contingency plan. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, this is again, my last, my last point on this and everybody is freaking out. Like, Oh, like these people tested positive. These people tested positive. The positive tests by the athletes. I don't think is the biggest issue here because the system, the way this is going to work, if you're trying to play a sport in the middle of a pandemic, people are going to test positive. You're not going to have a perfect record for everybody. The idea of testing them is good because then you're catching the cases, you're keeping them from spreading it. But if you're playing in places where the spread's going uncontrolled and people can get from going to the grocery store or going to a bar, that's where sports gets into a problem because all of a sudden, one guy at the bar gets it. They're not tested daily, sneak in the locker room, hangs out with five people, they get it, and then they give it to five more people. You have 10 people on one team with a test, a positive test, and you're forced to shut down. That, that's one problem. And the second problem is hospitalization. So let's talk about Ron DeSantis down in Florida. There are counties in Florida that are reporting 
no available ICU beds. What happens if you're playing a baseball game in Florida, somebody gets severely injured, needs to go to the hospital. There's no bed. What are you going to do? Airlift the guy? Yeah. It's, it's a big problem. And then, and then you're going to prioritize the surgery of baseball player on his knee versus the dying patient on his, uh, who has coronavirus. Is that a good look? Uh, I'm not sure if that's a good look. So it's, it's, uh, it's a problem, and and that that is where the problem comes. You are right that the overwhelming likelihood is that if a baseball player in his twenties or thirties is in the best shape of his life, gets sick with coronavirus, he'll probably be fine. But if ten guys, fifteen guys on the same team get it, then you got a problem. Yeah, it, that's a big problem. And the one thing I will point again point out to people is that like this is an issue where like you're also putting a lot of trust in the athletes and like a lot of them probably listen, but how do you know the one guy is not going to go out and party? He's like, Oh, I'm not going to get this. And then you have problems all over the place. I think any league you have to, I think if any league is actually planning on playing games in this country, given how poorly it has run the coronavirus situation outside of the Northeast, you have to test them daily. That's your only chance. If you're planning on doing it three times a week, twice a week, like the NFL is talking about, like not going to work. I agree. All you got to do is turn on the TV. Yeah. Well, watch Arizona. Yeah. Pool parties, people hanging on south on top of each other. Uh, you're really going to tell me that some 25 year old bachelor isn't going to be at at that kind of a pool party uh, on his off day during the Major League Baseball season? I think that's hard to believe. Yep, that's where we are. Hopefully, we're hoping the best. I'm not. I'm. I'm. My percentage. I'll give you mine. I was like, I think 80 percent they get off. 40% they finish, and that's with them going to a double. That's my numbers. That's that's fair. Uh, I could see that, too. Uh, maybe I'm a little pessimistic, but but I, I think, by the way, anybody who thinks it's, oh, yeah, no no doubt about it, you're, you're kidding yourself. Yeah, you don't know what the virus and, look like in two days. You don't know what it's going to look like in about six weeks when they start playing these games. It was only two weeks ago that Governor DeSantis was taking his victory lap uh, in the conservative media about how he defeated the coronavirus without a lockdown. And now all of a sudden the guy has egg on his face. But let me say one last thing that I think the listener should be cognizant of. Even if we have a season and we play, there are things that the players can do to get back at the owners during the season. So don't ex- look, I'm not suggesting they're going to go out there and tank or blow the game. They're not going to do that because they have, Competitive. competitive integrity, but don't expect to get any sort of optional interviews. Nobody, don't expect people to be mic'd up on the broadcast. Uh, you're not going to get that. The players are going to take a brotherhood approach that we are not going to do anything above what we are contractually obligated to do for the owners. Nothing that might generate a single cent of revenue. So it'll be a different baseball uh, watching experience i think yeah i think i'm in full agree with you like there were talks about maybe doing an off-season home run derby or like an off-season all-star game make up the one we're not getting at dodger stadium in a couple of weeks like that's off the table you're getting the bare minimum from the players this year yeah you're, you're gonna get they're gonna play they're gonna play their best because they're athletes and that's what they do but don't expect to be getting weekly spots with wfan or things like that i'd be very surprised yeah, the weekly spots thing, I think, is a little different. That goes directly to the player's pocket. I think in terms of, like, 
you know, like helping my TV network or we're not getting ESPN like in-game interviews for like our Sunday night game like we've been doing in the sure. past. You're right. That's a better example. Yeah, I don't don't expect to see Pete Alonzo mic'd up for Sunday night baseball. Not happening. Yeah, not happening. Phil, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Sure. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Uh, and, um, you know, we'll we'll monitor the situation. Uh, hopefully it's a better outlook than I, I laid out, but I am. I'm not not too confident, but I am glad that it sounds like we're going to at least try and have baseball. Indeed. Thanks, Phil. Thank you. All right. And that will do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest first, Anthony McCarron, for calling in to talk about the state of the early negotiations, some of his thoughts about the upcoming season, what might happen for the Mets and Yankees, all that good stuff. I want to the baseball beat Will Schneiderhand and Anthony Sorbellini for hopping on the line to Basically take a giant dump on the 30 for 30 long gone summer. God, it was awful. So bad. And that Griffey documentary on MLB Network was far better. I also want to thank Phil Fryer, our legal correspondent, for helping break down some more of the madness from the negotiations. What the latest developments mean. What it means for the 2020 season and beyond. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including my look at the time back when, this is back a week ago, back on the return of sports on Sports Night on June 15th when Rob Manfred said we might not have a season. I wrote down what that might mean. Check out that fun little cap- time capsule piece over on just the blog, justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. Simply search for Just and the Suffering on any of those platforms. You can find all real episodes there. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Individual segments from the episodes go up there as well. You can also leave your feedback and star ratings. That helps a lot. It makes things even better going forward. So please do that, guys. It means a lot to me. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet me with the hashtag where and when to let me know you made it to the end of this week's episode. Again, where and when the hashtag slogan the players were using to announce their intention to play ball. Where and when the hashtag. Next week on the podcast, talking a little NBA, more good stuff there. Talking high-flying bird on Netflix down in Austin. going to be fun there. Until then, hope you have a better week than baseball fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.